Welcome to episode 31 of Shane Talks. 31 episodes. That is awesome. As always, I am joined today by Jason L. Mayer. We're both rocking our uh, basketball attire for tonight's episode. Uh, episode 31 comes via Reggie Miller, the uh, Indiana Pacer player, being number 31 his entire career. Um, so we're going to do a basketball episode first tonight. Uh, still haven't hooked up with my Sun King guy recently, so I've got no new Sun Kings to drink. So I went back to my trusty old uh, Hershey's Porter from Yingling. And the best way to drink that is obviously to put a shot of peanut butter whiskey in with it. We call it a Reese peanut butter cup beer. Uh, Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Talking about basketball, and I'm wearing my Celtic shirt. So I had to drink something from the New England area. It's a uh, shipyard pumpkin ale. Nice. Best pumpkin ale ever created. Uh, it is a fantastic pumpkin beer. You and I have also <laughs> drank the Imperial version of that together, which was really good as well. Uh, all right, so we're doing a basketball episode. Um, I had a question to ask you, and now I am blanking on what it was. Huh. I really should have... I, I thought of this while I was watching the Pacer game tonight. I was going to add it to the script, and I forgot, but I, at the top of the show, I wanted to ask you an episode... Oh, I wanted to ask you if you watched anything exciting this week. Any new movies or any TV shows or anything that you haven't uh, watched? Uh, I watched two movies this week. Um, one was Black Klansman. I had never seen it. And I, have then, not, I have not seen that either yet. Um, it was something that was always appealing to me, but oh, yeah. with the fact that it's like 240, I think, two and a half, 240, something like that. Um, I just never found the uh, the drive to watch it while it was at our theater. Sure. So I just missed it while it was in the theaters. The other day I had to make a run to the library for one of my kids. And while I was there, it was literally on an end cap at the library. And I was like, yanked it, grabbed nice. it. Um, really good movie. Awesome. Uh, I good really enjoyed um, a whole lot of aspects of it. Um, it's, it's, it, I don't feel like the ending is as Spike Lee as it could have been. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, I didn't hate the ending nearly as much as I do sometimes with Spike yeah. Lee films. Um, and I, um, John, is it John, John David, David Washington? Washington? Yeah. Like, he's just awesome, man. Like, and I enjoy him when he was on Ballers. I enjoyed him in Tenant. Yeah. Um, I really, but he's like really, really funny in this movie like like and it's not like <laughs> i found myself laughing out loud at things that like it, like i wish i would have seen this with an audience it would have oh, been so okay. much better nice but yeah it was a really good movie um did you follow that out with judas judas and the black messiah i did that's awesome well, how uh, good was that that looks amazing uh hbo max uh has it on release now until uh think the first week of march or something like that or the second week of march uh it, it was just okay oh, that's like, close. Uh, like i like the the history aspect of it sure um i am not somebody who believes in some of the ideals that um oh my gosh i can't remember the main guy's name right now um it's draw i'm drawing a blank is it lakeith stanfield no, yeah, but I'm talking about the character he actually plays, like the oh, historical figure he plays. Gotcha. Um, I don't agree with a lot of his philosophies, philosophies. but right. for the most part, like the movie was just, it's good. It feels more like a biopic 
a little sure. bit more too much like a biopic. Um, and yet you just watch it and you you're just dumbfounded how stupid the uh, the police were back then. Oh, like wow. the, just just if the if the story is even half true, which it probably is mostly true. Sure. Uh, from what I saw, um, the uh, it's not yeah. The cops back then just not that you yeah. know some of the, the cops, cops nowadays still have issues, issues but like there was a lot of um, there was a lot of stuff in that movie that just made you think what the hell were cops doing? Wow. Um, when that came out, but I had seen a I saw a piece on some kind of um, what was the word I'm looking for here, like a, a news piece mm-hmm. on that guy yeah. drawing. Uh, I'm going to look it up. Uh, anyway, I saw a news piece on him a few years ago, and I liked what I saw about it, uh, about him. But uh, uh, you know, he was a Black Panther. He uh, his name is Fred Hampton. That's Fred, the guy. Okay. Thinking of. So Fred Hampton, the Black Panther, um, and that's Daniel Kaluuya. Okay. Kalu- yep. Kaluuya or that's, whatever. Yeah, and then like Keith Stanfield plays Bill O'Neill, who is kind of like who's um, forced to become an informant, right? Uh, for the FBI, and and it there's some really really sad parts of that story okay. where like like black Klansmen, like there's there's i didn't feel i felt like that's gross and you know people shouldn't have done what some of the things that they had them do in that movie sure uh but overall they kept the tone very light and uh but still impactful whereas this one was a little bit more heavy-handed uh, which it wasn't like it's not a bad movie i just didn't i didn't get sucked into it the way that I wanted to be sucked into it. Gotcha. Uh, the weird thing is, is that the actor that plays the FBI agent is Jesse Plemons. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yep. He's been in a ton of stuff, and oh, he yeah. was even um, Breaking Bad. Okay. When I watched last year, I was like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah. But uh, it's so weird because his, his face and the delivery and cadence of him uh-huh. – very similar to Matt Damon, but oh, it's okay. like the generic version of Matt Damon. <laughs> so like, every, like I want Matt Damon to play these roles because he would do it so much better. But like, nice. it's like it's just like, and it's nothing knocking. I feel bad for saying that to this, you know, about this actor. But sure. it's just like every time, all I think is you're the poor man's Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> they can't afford Matt Damon, so they're gonna get you. Uh, yeah, Jesse Plemons did the uh, the Black Mirror episode that was the spoof on Star Trek, and I, he was amazing as the captain on that, like a wannabe Captain Kirk. He did a really good job on that. But you saying like the poor man's Matt Damon, I totally can see that. Um, and then um, Martin Sheen's in it, and oh, he plays the Edgar him. Hoover, nice. and uh, he does a really good job when he's on screen. So yeah, um, so two thumbs up, or I, on my scale of five, I'd probably give. Black Klansman, like a three and a half. Awesome. Um, but with um, Judas and the Black Messiah, I'm probably looking at like a two and a half, which it's still not bad. It's just not as entertaining as I wanted sure. it. Sounds so. like a badass double feature and both movies that I want to watch soon. So I'm glad to hear that yeah, you watched like, them and liked them. And Black Klansman, like Adam Driver. And, and yeah, there's just so many good funny moments in it that nice. it was it was worth watching. I'm looking forward to what was the next one that I want to see. I want to see the one that you watched, Denzel. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just it's more of a character piece than anything. But a hundred percent, like the uh, the little, little things. Uh, I went into it expecting a very good like serial killer like detective story, like trying to figure out if um, uh, the Joker, um, Jared Leto, Jared Leto, trying to figure out if Jared Leto actually did like these murders or whatnot. And that's just not what the movie's about. The movie is really just more about cops in the I think it's set in the '90s and like the gray areas that Denzel's character lives in and tries to teach. Remy Malik's character, like, we're cops, we kind of got to toe this gray area line. Even if we're not right, we kind of try to make ourselves right. So it's a very much more a character study about police in the in the 90s than it is about trying to solve a, a... I mean, it's kind of about trying to solve a serial killer thing, but that's really the back burner of the episode, or of the show. Um, yeah, I, I want to watch it before uh, it leaves HBO Max at the end of the month, so I want to catch it before then. Um... Uh, have you watched anything this week? Uh, mostly this week, I've been watching these basketball movies we're about to talk about. Uh, that's been the majority of my of my week. But uh, Caitlin and I did on Sunday. We spent four hours watching the uh, Netflix just released a documentary on the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles, which is uh, Richard Ramirez, who was known as the Night Stalker in the '70s in Los Angeles. Like he lived in this hotel and like. They have interviews with people who lived in there that basically said, like, the 14th floor and, and above was literally all just, like, where murderers killed people, where, like, prostitutes hung out, and, like, basically all this crazy stuff was going on there. The documentary is focusing uh, on, a, on a girl who went missing in 2013. I'm pretty sure it's 2013. But, like, she was missing for, like, 19 days before they discovered her body uh, in the water tower on the roof. Um, so it kind of just, like, dives into, like, there's video, there's some video footage of her in the hotel, but then, like, the places they say there's video cameras, like, there should be more footage of her that's never been released, so, like, it kind of, like, goes into, like, the theories of what happened to her, uh, it has a bunch of internet sleuths on there, um, and it kind of shows you how, like, the internet and, and, and these wannabe sleuthers can kind of, like, ruin people's lives, because, like, they thought they figured out who did it, and it was this guy that was a musician in Mexico, and, like, literally, like, they were posting all this, like, hate mail to him, and, like, they were saying that, you know, they know that he did it, they can prove that he did it, and all this stuff, and literally he has an alibi for being in Mexico that day. They were going off the fact that he was at that hotel a year earlier and posted a video, yeah, like, they apparently didn't match their years up to, to the, like, his passport proves that he was in Mexico, he didn't travel at that point at any time, like, and, like, they ruined this guy's life, like, he was a musician who, like, lost his, his music contracts, he lost, like, all gigs, nobody would hire him anymore, he never completed the album that he was working on because of this, because, like, all these internet people started saying that he was the one that killed this girl, so it's, like, it, it kind of shows you how crazy the internet can be, like, in ruining people's lives. Um, it was four hours. I probably could have done with, like, a two-hour version of it or maybe even, like, like a two-hour dateline of it or something. Like, there was a lot of stuff in there that didn't matter, but, eh, it is what it is. They had interviews with people that worked there and, like, um, the hotel manager around this time. Like, she was there for, like, ten years. They interviewed her. They, they discussed, like, the rebranding. Like, they literally divided the hotel in half. 
and they rebranded one half of it to try to be like a nicer upper scale place, but you still had to use the same elevators as the people who were in the Cecil Hotel. So like all these like travelers and tourists and whatnot, they're thinking, thinking they were staying at like a nice swanky hotel. Like they literally like divided the lobby in half. One door entered on one street, the other door entered on the other street for the Cecil Hotel and Stay on Main, I think is what they named the other half of the hotel. But literally the elevators were still the exact same. So you had people cross pollinating between the like, because like this hotel has like floors that are like rent controlled stuff because it was designed for a while in the in Los Angeles County to be somewhere for homeless people to stay really cheap while they were trying to find a job and stuff. And then because of laws, there's people that lived there for like 20 some years paying like $14 a week or something to live there. Yeah, like, this hotel is, like, jacked up crazy. And like I said, in the 70s, there was, like, uh, I think this, I think they were averaging, like, 80 murders a year in this building. Like, yeah, like, insane. They they said that they averaged, like, three 911 calls a day at this hotel. Like, yeah, yeah. like, it's crazy. So, like I said, it's a four-hour Netflix documentary. I, I probably didn't need all four hours of it, but, like, we got invested in it and whatnot, but... That was other than basketball movies. That's the only thing that I that I watched this week, and it was interesting, I suppose. Uh, so again, go ahead. Speak, speaking of uh, us both having HBO Max, yeah. I almost canceled it recently, but then Uh-oh. I was, you know what? The Justice League movie's coming out. I might as well hold off until that comes out. Also, like at the end of this month, like Tom and Jerry comes out. And my kids, I'm sure, would love to watch it. Like that's this uh, weekend, isn't it? I think I saw a commercial that that's this weekend. You're right. Yeah, I think that's this weekend. Dude, going back to Justice League, let's talk about that for a quick second. First of all, the trailer that got released this week looks amazing, and I hated the other version of it. But did you did you notice that it was in a boxed format? Yeah, yeah. Did you read about why it's going to – like, that's how the movie's going to look. And did you read why? God, Why? Zack Snyder, when he was shooting his movie, he shot a lot of it on IMAX cameras, which is a 1.37 aspect ratio, like the the IMAX square that you get that actually fills an IMAX screen. So he decided that when he... Actually, I guess it goes all the way back to Batman versus Superman, where he shot like 11 minutes of it in that format. So when yeah. he did Justice League, he shot apparently the majority of the movie in like the IMAX format. And so that is how he is having it released in the 1.37 to 1 aspect ratio. So stupid. Like, you think about things where it's like, uh, you know, like, (laughs) everybody went from analog to digital because digital was so much better. And now we're just like, oh, we're going to just revert back to analog. Like, it's just like, or you know what? I want... I want to now put black bars on your television screens at home on the sides. I no longer want them at the top and the bottom. No, no. Did that bother you during WandaVision? Um, like, eh, it, it was fine. Okay. It, it, it's one of those things that what, one of the really annoying things to me is when you get. Like, like, uh, I don't like. It, it it made sense in WandaVision, right? Because sure. like we were doing the old school TV shows, sure. but then it opens up, like yep. so it works. And there's a person, there's a reason behind it. Okay. Whereas, and I guess there's a reason behind this too, but like I don't know. Um, I'm 
it's so weird because I know this hype machine for this movie has just gone skyrocketing. Sure. And ever since they, you know, announced that they were going to actually release this thing. And what's very interesting to me is his movies have not been well received for the most part for like man of steel. I love the movie. You don't Nope. I, I like Batman versus Superman. I don't love it, but it's it's fun. It's entertaining enough for me. I think they should have cut the movie in half almost. They should have done a lot less. They should have done two parts or something. Yeah, um, it should not be as long as it is. The whole Doomsday thing should have been a different movie. It shouldn't have even been a part of this one. Um, you, you, you literally could have gotten the whole fight between um batman and superman and like been done like and then have like batman show up and save martha and that'd be the end of that movie like that could have been one entire film while superman goes and saves lois and and gets lex or whatever sure but and then or in the second or the end the cliffhanger could have been him starting up the machine that creates doomsday sure like just show up at the end like Cut to black, move on to the next movie. That movie is way too long. It's got too much stuff going on in it. Um, it tried so hard to be Avengers. Oh, yeah. The Dark Avengers, essentially. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, like I I I'm not I'm not expecting a whole lot out of this Justice League movie, but I hope that I enjoy it because I liked his first two movies with what? this. A lot of people didn't like those first two movies, so I don't. And I didn't. I'm in that group. But let me ask you this: Are you happy they're dropping the four-hour movie, or would you have preferred they did the one hour a week? I think you probably could have done like one hour a week, but I mean, there's no way I'm sitting down and watching the whole four hours all at once. No, not at all. Like, like I doubt I'm going to hit start at 10 a 10 p.m. and watch until two. Sure. But you might. I know how you get. Well, it also depends on how engaging it is, right? Sure. Like, if I get sucked in, it's just kind of like what we uh, what I do at work. I didn't watch all of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because of the fact that after the first hour and a half, I wasn't interested. Sure. I wasn't I wasn't engaged, so I don't care what happens in the second half of that movie, the next hour, hour and a half, whatever. I've never seen it. Never <laughs> plan on going back to it. So. I don't know. Anyway, cool. No, let's, talk, let's about, talk about let's basketball. Talk about basketball movies. Exactly. Uh, first of all, do you, today is February seventeenth when we're recording this. Do you know what is special about today? Uh, it's Nudie Magazine Day. Ooh, that is a great answer. However, the actual answer is today is Michael Jordan's fifty eighth birthday. Ah. Oh. So a great night for us to record this on the uh, on the greatest basketball player ever's birthday. Airman himself. The airman himself. So uh, we threw up a poll on Shane Talks. Um, I was going to do the top 10 that we were going to talk about, but I like the 11th movie a lot, so we're throwing it in there as a play-in game. So the 11th and uh, voting. Please do our, this. I do. Please bring in the 11th. Because for you know whatever reason, like the 11th is just right there. It's like one vote shy, and it should be in the top 10. I love Coach should, Carter. It, I, it shouldn't be there. It, it well, but it's Shane Talks, so it's your show. Yeah, I get to do whatever I want, right? Yep. Um, plus, when I started writing the script for this, I had not yet watched Finding Forrester, which I actually did today. Um, You've never seen it? 
No, I've seen it. Like, but I haven't seen it since oh. 2000. I think I watched it okay. at Eastgate with you, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, I've just I've never. Well, we, I can't say I never have because I know I owned the DVD because that was a time in my life where I was buying every movie that came out on Tuesday. Like, yep. if you don't know this about Jason and I, uh, back in like 98, 99, 2000, 2001. Every Tuesday, him and I would go to Best Buy together at 10 a.m. And I would, I for sure, I don't know how much this is true for Jason. I would buy every new DVD that came out that week. If it was like a Hollywood release. It wasn't every, every movie, but it was a lot of them. I mean, I was, I was averaging three to five discs a week when we would go there. Like I would buy pretty much anything that came out. Done that. What's that? So could you imagine how much money we would have had oh, if we hadn't have done that? That was ridiculous. But we were both living at home at the time. We both had a bunch of expendable money, and we wanted a huge DVD collection, which uh, I've sold three-fourths of my DVD collection since then. So, yeah, it was a huge waste of money. But I know I bought uh, Finding Forrester. I owned it at one point. I don't think I own it anymore. I mean, I bought it digitally this week so that I'd be able to watch it. Um because I paid like five bucks or whatever on Voodoo for it. Um, but yeah, so when I wrote the script for tonight's episode, uh, it was before today, I hadn't seen it, and I was I was kind of like, I don't really consider Finding Forrester a, a basketball movie, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Finding Forrester. So I was throwing in the 11th because I didn't consider Finding Forrester a basketball movie, and I wanted a real basketball movie in, the, in here. So I decided to add Coach Carter as number 11 because I, I really love this movie. I love Samuel L. Jackson's character in this movie, and it has an awesome cast. Samuel L. Jackson, Channing Tatum, Rob Brown, Rick Gonzalez, Ashanti, like pretty much the beginnings of a lot of those people's careers was in this movie. How do you feel about it? Uh, I think it's it's fine. Uh, my problem was that there's a lot of movies that are very similar. Okay. Uh, and like, you know, coach has got to come in, coach has got to break everybody down, build everybody back up. Um, they live in a bad part of town. So just like yeah. save the last dance, there has to be somebody who ends up dead. Yeah. And then it's got to galvanize everybody else together because they sure. finally realize what family means. It's just you do this, you do gridiron gang. It's the sure. exact same movie. Like well, and so what we're going to get into with with the with this movie and the other ten that we're going to talk about is there's a couple of different ways to approach sports movies. Uh, sometimes you can approach it from the point of view of the coach. The coach is the one that has to come in and has to like deal with his ragtag group of teenagers or whatever, and the coach is the one that changes you know their lives or whatever. Uh, the other perspective is is you can do it from the perspective of the players, like a new player, like. You know, in this one, I would consider Samuel L. Jackson the main character of it. He's the coach that comes in and deals with the deals with the players. You could do uh, similar to the way Finding Forrester is, where you actually focus on one person, one player who is being put into a team or into a situation, and you know the coach is already there and in place, and essentially that player is the fish out of water character, like coming into a new group of people and having to adjust. Um, so this one, I feel like it definitely focuses more on the coach and him trying to deal with this group of teenagers. I like the fact that Coach Carter puts his foot down and does not allow his characters to disrespect him or anybody else. I feel like he does a lot of things to help. I feel like he cares more about his players as people and human beings than he does about winning basketball games. That's proven when hey, he... Lasso. What's that? I said, okay, Ted Lasso. Yeah, sure. 
he's a he's a foul mouth version of Ted Lasso. Um, <laughs> but like he locks his players out of the gym so they can't practice because he learns that they aren't like I like the fact he makes them sign contracts that says, you know, they will they will uphold like their grades, they'll have a C average and all this other stuff. And he makes them stick to it. And when he finds out that they're not he locks them out of the gym so they can't practice. He makes them study to get their grades up, and he forfeits games. Like, I think they had an undefeated, like, I think they go, like, 8 or 10 or 0 or something like that before this happens. And then they lose, like, four games by forfeit because he refuses to let his players play. And, of course, that pisses off the the fan base and the parents because, you know, these kids were doing well, and why are you why are you forfeiting games? But he stands up for himself, and you know it, it becomes more about making his players better people than better basketball players. So, I think that's what I really enjoy about this movie is like he he holds his kids up. It doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter like oh this guy's a star player. Like he's got scouts coming to watch him. Like Coach Carter doesn't care about any of that. He cares about like turning these people's lives around so that they can go to college or be decent people and not be basketball players. And I think that's what I kind of like about it because it was different than any other sports movie at that time that was all about make this best player the best that he can be. All right, so we're going to go to number 10 now, which is a Spike Lee movie, which means I like almost all of it until the end uh, for a very big reason. Um, The Spike Lee movie is He Got Game with Denzel Washington and Ray Allen as uh, Jake Shuttlesworth and Jesus Shuttlesworth. Um, Bill Nunn is in it, who's a who's an actor that I really enjoy, all the like side roles and characters that he has in all of his movies. Uh, Mila Jovovich is in it. She plays the hooker that uh, hooks up with Denzel Washington. Um, Rosario Dawson has a small part in it. John Turturro has a part in it. Rick Fox plays another one of the basketball players in it. Um, basically, the plot of this movie is Ray Allen's a badass basketball player. The governor of New York wants him to go to his alma mater, which I think they call like Big State, or is it Big State? Yeah, Big State. Um, so Ray Allen's dad is Denzel, who was in jail for murder, and he, the governor, tells him, if you convince your son to go to my alma mater, then I will commute your sentence and I'll let you get out of jail. He's in jail because he killed Ray Allen's mother uh, when Ray Allen was like 12 or 14 or something like that. Uh, Accidentally, it was manslaughter. It wasn't like intentional or anything. We see in a flashback that the two of them get in a huge fight because his dad was his... I don't know if he was his coach or just like his trainer or something like that, but like he rigorously... What's that? Pushing him too hard, remember? Yeah, Yeah, he was pushing. He was like very aggressive and abusive in, in the way he was making uh, Ray Allen, like, well, a different actor playing Ray Allen's character, uh, at making him train and, and get ready to be a star basketball player. They get in a huge verbal altercation that turns physical, and then the mom steps in and tries to stop it and accidentally gets killed in the process. So obviously Ray Allen is not happy with his dad at all, so when his dad starts coming around, because I think uh, the governor gives him like a week uh, to try to make this happen, uh, there's a lot of anger and animosity between them again. Movie about a father and a son trying to reconnect. Um, and then, you know, the last 10 minutes happen where Ray Allen finally decides to sign with Big State and then the governor reneges on his agreement. Um, apparently because Ray Allen didn't sign the letter of intent at the right time or something, like... I don't know. Basically, we assume that the governor was never actually going to follow through with with his offer or whatever. 
and it just it it's that Spike Lee ending where it's like I've got to throw in this really you know hate filled twist, uh, and then we get the absolutely stupid, but I understand it's metaphorical of Denzel Washington throwing the basketball over the the prison wall and it magically bounces and lands in the gymnasium where Ray Allen is practicing. Yep, there you go. Yeah. So uh overall I, I, I like the movie from an acting standpoint. I I I love Denzel and Ray Allen when they have scenes together. Um but overall it's just kind of a blah movie in my opinion. He looked like uh it was crazy when this movie came out. We were sophomores. 95, I think. So, yeah, we should have been sophomores. We're sophomores. Um, uh, Kim Footman was at LC at that point in time. Okay, and I was like, hey, you look like the guy who was in He Got Game. And he was like, <laughs> the player? And I was like, yeah. He's like, Ray Allen. And I was like, sure. Because at this point in time, <laughs> was not into basketball besides the Celtics. Like, I knew the Celtics, but I, and I knew the Pacers a little bit, but I didn't know almost anybody else. In who the was Ray game. Allen playing for at that point? And that was Seattle. See, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. that's who drafted him. That's right. So, um, but yeah, the, so I just remember that being something kind of funny. This is probably, um, and I don't, I hate to say it because of the fact that I just saw it, but Black Klansman might actually be my favorite Spike Lee movie overall. Okay. Um, but that he wrote and directed, sure, that. because Twenty Fifth Hour, I love that movie. I don't know why. I really, really enjoy that movie, uh, but he didn't write it. He just right. directed and that, and and maybe it's because of the fact that it didn't have the crazy ending that I that I was expecting from a Spike Lee movie. But it kind of did. I, it still had a really stupid ending. It kind of does, but it's not eh, whatever. So, um, but yeah, um, he got game and Black Klansman are my favorite, written and directed by Spike okay. Lee. So, what what? What do you love about this movie? Why Why do you think it's such a good... Like, So obviously, before this week, it was your favorite Spike Lee movie. What Yeah. What um, made it your favorite Spike Lee movie? Like, is it is it the I'm story? Right, I'm right there with you with the acting, man. Like, yeah. it, it, they just they knock it out of the park when they're in the scenes together, especially the, uh, Denzel and Ray Allen. Um, well, and Denzel does a really good job. Uh, once you see the flashback and you see, like, how hard he's pushing him as a kid and, like, where it goes... When you when you're back in the present, you Denzel does a good job of playing a character that you can tell is this close to getting like to snapping again, but he 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 keeps it reeled in. But you can still see like he wants to be that Denzel from like 20 years earlier. Like I guess it would be like 10, 10 years, years earlier. Years, yeah, uh, he wants to be that Denzel that that you know was very brutal in the way he was making his kid like practice to be a basketball player. And you can see it on his face, and he just does his acting in this movie is absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, and uh, besides the BS ending, which I'm right there with you as far as the crazy, yeah. like the stupidness of it. Um, yeah, this was definitely my favorite Spike Lee movie from, nice. him, from his role. So. Our number nine movie is unfortunately one that I was not able to find to watch this week, uh, which means I haven't seen it in like 25 years. Never seen the whole thing. You've never seen the whole thing? Uh, then this will probably be a pretty quick talk because I don't remember very much of it. This is one that I really wanted to watch this week, and I just I, it's not streaming anywhere. It's not available to stream. Um, the Air Up There with Kevin Bacon and Charles Gotunga Mana. Sure. Um, 
This trailer was on one of the movies that I used to watch all the time. I think it might have been Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. I I do think this was a New Line Cinema movie. Yeah, so so it, I think it was on that tra- that okay. that ape my VHS cassette. Um, all I remember is kind of what you have in the notes, where Kevin Bacon, an assistant coach, sees a video of some kid doing some stuff mm-hmm. in the background that somebody like was filming something, and he yeah. sees him in the back. So then, off of that, he decides to fly to Africa and try to essentially exploit this kid to come yep. and join his squad, so that he can maybe get they can see how good of a recruiter he is. So possibly he can become a head coach at some other, either at his album or at this school or a different school. Um, he, uh, but then he has to learn all the customs and he's got to do the you dancing, the very fish out of water story for exactly being, being in, um, in an African country and dealing with everything that's going on there. Yep. Uh, but um yeah, I just remember the trailer a lot because of that movie. Sure. And I, I might have seen, I don't think I've ever seen the movie all the way through. Yeah. Um, I, I know I went to the theater to watch it. I think I actually went to the $1.50 theater down on Washington Street to watch it. Um, but yeah, like, I, I don't remember a whole lot of it other than, than what we've been talking about. I, I know... I know there was eventually, like near the end of the movie, some some basketball scenes that actually took place at the college. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was just him, uh, Kevin Bacon, trying to win over the dad. Uh, Kevin Bacon trying to deal with all the different customs in the African country and whatnot. And then I remember, I remember it being a good like they the two main characters teach each other stuff like they they become friends and it's kind of like he tries to help him understand american culture uh the the charles guy tries to help him understand like african culture they teach each other a lot of stuff about like humanity and things like that um probably a lot less bas. i I don't remember as much basketball per se in this movie um as as there probably needed to be to be included as a basketball film uh but again i unfortunately didn't get to watch it this week so I don't remember a whole lot about it. So we will move on to number eight, which is when I was doing my research for this episode, when, when obviously when I put the poll out and when we decided to do this, I wanted to talk about basketball and, and, and movies that were about basketball. And as I put Everybody the poll out, what's that? Everybody kept throwing you curveballs. Everybody did keep throwing me curveballs. Uh, Finding Forrester, which is next, was one of those curveballs. People wanted to include basketball, which, I mean, that's a completely different sport. They don't actually play basketball in that movie. Uh, I mean, Forrester goes out with squeak. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love basketball. Baseball is a great movie, but it, it it's literally its own sport. It's it's not the sport of basketball. Right there with you. Yeah, so... When I got when I got to Above the Rim and started writing out the stuff for Above the Rim, I really came to the realization that Above the Rim is is more a movie about people who also play basketball. And that kind of changed my opinion about like when I went into watching Finding Forrester today. Um, because while there is a lot of basketball that gets played in Above the Rim, there's a couple of uh, actual like high school basketball games, and then there's a lot of like the three-on-three stuff in the park, um, and then you've got Leon playing uh, in the park, and you've got uh, the one really good scene with Bernie Mac when Bernie Mac was super skinny, um, where he schools the kids on the basketball court. Um, but 
in the end, it really this movie really just comes down to friends and you know picking the right people in your life because the main character kind of hangs out with Tupac Shakur, who is a very bad influence on him. Um, he watches firsthand how they make fun of Marlon Wayans character. He later finds out that you know he had Bernie Mac killed. Um, so it's it's really one of those movies that's more about people than it is about basketball, and that kind of opened my eyes up a little more that I. Like, as much as I absolutely love the movie, I, I'm a huge Tupac fan. I love the Poetic Justice and, um, what is the third movie that he did? Oh, Gridlocked with Timothy Roth. Um, while I, while yeah. I love all of those movies, um... Can't forget, he was in, uh, what's that one with John Candy? Oh, uh, the one where he was in with Digital Underground. Yeah, he's the backup dancer. He's the backup dancer for Digital Underground. Why? I can't think of the name of that movie. We made fun of that movie because of how bad it is at some point. Yeah, it, it is a terrible movie, but yeah, you're right. He he is in the background as a dancer in that movie as well. But it's like I'm a I'm a huge Tubac fan, specifically because of Poetic Justice. I think that's by far his best role he's ever done. Um, but he's 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 who he's supposed to be in this movie. He's a thug gangster. He plays the part perfectly. Um, but again, it's it, it's about. You know, the main character, uh, Dwayne Martin, who is also the cameraman in Scream 2. Um, it's about Dwayne Martin kind of... It's like I on film. <laughs> uh, it's about him, like, realizing that the people that he, like, thought were cool and wanted to hang out with really aren't the best people for him. Leon from Cool Runnings plays uh, Tupac Shakur's older brother, uh, who uh, Dwayne Martin's mom is actually, like, in a romantic relationship with. So it's this weird kind of melding of all like these two different families in an awkward way um but yeah the three on three tournament uh at the end of the movie is kind of like the the epitome and the highlight of the movie um but yeah i i really love above the rim um i don't know how well it would hold up today that's one of the ones i didn't watch this week because of the fact that i know it so well as of how many times i watched it when i was a lot younger um so i'm not sure how well it would hold up today but i really enjoy the movie what are your feelings on it yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I, I don't remember loving it, but I never, like, it wasn't something I was, I mean, I watched it a couple of times, um, but I I don't remember feeling one way about it or the other. Right on. Uh, our seventh movie was one that I did not in, originally include, despite the fact that it's a movie that I really love the film, but... I don't remember a lot of basketball. I didn't remember a lot of basketball being in it. And today when I watched it, there still really isn't a lot of basketball. But there is basketball that's played. Uh, this is an amazing film about people who want to be writers. I've cut you off twice now. What were you about to say? I was going to say, like, I, to be completely honest, I know basketball exists in this film, but I'm right there with you. This is not a basketball film. Yeah. It's just happens to have some basketball in it kind of like we were joking about it when we talked previously consternate has a basketball scene sure. or movie it's yep. not a basketball movie um but, but yeah so um but yeah i i'm right there with you the uh sean connery is especially near the end of his career was very choosy on what he picked sure uh well, at least it maybe he was always that way but we definitely saw less of him near the end of his career and this is one of those movies where he's just fantastic. He's playing a crotchety old man essentially, and he's just great at it. Yeah. So, um, 
so yeah, so I watched it today. I, I wanted to make sure it was fresh in my head. Our friend, so I didn't originally include it on the poll. Um, I honestly, it didn't even cross my mind because I don't consider it a basketball movie. Um, but our friend Jay Hampton put it on there, said that it's his favorite basketball movie. I I 100% agree that it is an amazing film. Sean Connery is amazing in it. Uh, it's Rob Brown, right? Uh, yeah, Rob Brown, uh, who was also in Coach Carter, was in this one. Um, he he's a kid who is good at basketball, but that's not his passion. His passion is writing. And so he just happens to get hooked up with a, uh, a recluse, uh, agoraphobic writer who wrote one huge book. Yeah. He's basically like a non, he's like the fictional version of Ernest Hemingway, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I think Hemingway wrote more than one, but, uh, was he really only known for one though. Like, yeah, I guess that could have been it. But yeah, so he only wrote like one like major book that he won the Pulitzer for and all this other stuff. Um, he never wrote it. Well, he technically, he never published a second book um, because at the end of the movie, after he passes away, he gives Rob Brown the manuscript for his second novel and says, uh, I want you to write the foreword to this and get it published. Um, so in the, in, in the end, he does write his second book. To get, or he's already written it, but it, he gets it published. Um, there's... by Well, I don't know. Who directed it? It's insane. Oh, yeah, I, you're right. When that popped up, the opening credits for this movie are really weird. Um, dudes rapping over some music while they're showing the opening credits and showing scenes around their neighborhood and whatnot, but it did pop up and say a Gus Van Sant film. I was wrong. It was not Ernest Hemingway. It was J.D. Salinger that they were kind of mimicking. That makes a lot of sense. There you go. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, so it's it's an absolutely amazing film about this bond between Rob Brown's character and Sean Connery's character and the evolution of them becoming friends. But Sean Connery sets boundaries for it. Like, you know, you're not allowed to ask about my family. You're not allowed to ask about my writing. You know, I'll help you with your writing and I'll be a mentor to you. But like, my life is off limits. And slowly but surely that wall gets broken down throughout the course of the movie. Um one of the most powerful scenes in the movie is when they try to go to uh, a Knicks game because, well, no, no surprise. I'm also a huge Busta Rhymes fan, so I love Busta Rhymes playing his older brother in this movie. Uh, but he works the gate at Madison Square Garden, uh, so he gets them tickets to go to a Knicks game, and um, the panic attack that Sean Connery's character has because it's like the first time in a long time that he has left his apartment. Um, they get separated at one point in the crowd, and like he has a major panic attack, and it's filmed very well. Which, being Gus Van Sant, you know, Goodwill Hunting, like he knows how to to do very good camera work like that. Uh, he was a cinematographer before he became a director, so he understands composition of, of scenes to make people feel to make the viewer feel the same level of uncomfortableness that the character feels while it's going on. So. Um, that scene's amazing, and then Busta, Rob Brown, and uh, Sean Connery all end up uh, on Yankee uh, Yankee Stadium's empty field that day, uh, and have a really good scene between the three of them, where Sean Connery tells a story to them about when him and his brother used to come and watch Yankees games at that stadium. Um, so again, it's a powerful movie. It's a it's a very well done movie. It makes a lot of sense that Gus Van Sant directed it. It's just not a basketball movie for me, like. There, there is basketball, and, and basketball is important. Uh, Rob Brown gets accepted to a, uh, a prestigious, like, private school. 
they offer to pay for everything so that his mother doesn't have to pay for anything as long and they say it's an academic scholarship but we'd really like you to actually play on our basketball team also which he does um he gets in some trouble because he gets accused of accused of plagiarizing uh some work that honorary's work that yeah and so there's like a big hearing about it and everything and like he asks sean connery can you please come and tell them that like we worked on this together like i didn't steal your work or anything sean connery's like no i refuse to do that like i told you like you know i got nothing to do with that um so he he plays in the basketball game and he's told if you help us win the state championship or whatever basketball game it was I'm pretty sure it was a state championship. Uh, we'll we'll forgive all of this. We'll just brush it, you know, under the rug. Like it won't matter. He purposely misses two free throws to guarantee that they lose the game. When Sean Connery sees that, he decides, mm, I got to stand up for this kid, and he you know ventures out to go to go give a speech about how, you know, they did work together and all this to you know save him from getting you know academically disbarred or whatever was going on. Um, so again. It's an absolutely great movie. It is a powerful movie. If you want to be a writer, like, it's a very good movie about two writers throwing ideas at each other and, like, working working through ideas and concepts. But there's just very little basketball in it. And to that effect, uh, right now at 47 minutes, uh, I am going to throw in a shot of me and my behind-the-back pass in Consternate. All right, so Consternate is a basketball movie also because uh, we have that one minute of, of footage right there of me throwing the ball behind my back. Uh, so that is the 47-minute mark. Uh, all right, so anything else you want to say about Finding Forrester? You got any other feelings about it? Nope. Cool. I wish John Connery would have kept acting way more than he did. How close uh, was this to, his, to him retiring? This was 2000, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, it was 2000. I would say 02. Okay, so he probably did Gentleman is the last thing he ever did. Oh, yeah. I think that's 02. That sounds right. That might have been 01. I'll look it up for us. Cool. Uh, while, you're, while you're... What's that? I said continue. Uh, we are going to move on to number six, which is possibly my all-time favorite basketball movie. I'm pretty sure this is my all-time favorite basketball movie. What year was it? Uh, I'm sorry, I, I was I was agreeing with your statement. Oh, I got you. Okay, yeah. Um, all all the other ones that are ahead of this in the poll are are great films and good. In, it was 03, Okay. Yeah, 2000 was Finding Forrester. 03 was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He uh, he didn't he did some voice work after that, but hardly anything. Um, and he did, so Finding Forrester was his second to last film. Yes. Wow. Okay. And Entrapment was his third to last. Wow. Playing by Heart, his fourth to last, and I love that movie. That movie is phenomenal. John Stewart, Gillian Anderson, that movie is. Uh, my my girlfriend, Angelina Jolie, Ryan Felipe. Uh, yeah, that has an amazing cast. Great movie. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure at some point we will get we'll we'll get to a point where we can throw that in and talk about it because that deserves to be talked about. Um, Love and Basketball. Ranked number six on the poll, but again, I probably would have to say this is my all-time favorite basketball movie. And again, the one the ones that are above it in the in the top five are all movies that I do enjoy a lot. But there is just something magical and amazing about this film. 
it, it starts off with a young version of Omar Epps and a young version of Sinan Lathan uh, meeting when they're like 10 or 12 years old. Um, and they, uh, her family's moving in next door. He's playing basketball with his friends. She comes over and challenges them and she schools them. And they originally think she's a boy. She has all of her hair up in a hat and everybody thinks she's a boy takes her hat off and they're like, Oh, this is a girl. And she schools, uh, what's his name? Quincy and all of his friends. That starts off a friendship. Uh, it then jumps ahead like 10 years. They're high school seniors. Uh, they're both stars of their high school, but, uh, they're just friends still. They play basketball together. Uh, the night of their senior prom, uh, they go with different people to the senior prom, but like there's that awesome scene at the prom where they're just like looking at each other while they're dancing with their other significant others. Um, and then that night after they part their separate ways with their significant others, uh, he ends up crawling through her window and, you know, they end up having sex on prom night with the people they didn't go to prom with. And then, uh, we jump ahead, uh, two years, I think, and they're both at, uh, USC and then they're a couple. Uh, they've been a couple while they're at college. Um, we we get to see him being big man on campus. We get to see her as a, oh I'm sorry it is her freshman year. He comes in and he's a big baller freshman who's in the starting lineup. She is a freshman that's fighting for the point guard position with with a senior. Um, and then that senior ends up getting injured, so she takes over for her and ends up playing really well, getting a lot of attention. Um, at this time, uh, Quincy's going through some shit with his dad, uh, and Monica refuses to break curfew to hang out with him, uh, because she is that dedicated to basketball and, and, and picks basketball over her relationship because she has a curfew that night. That causes them to break up. Then we fast forward a few years. He's playing in the NBA. She's playing over in Europe. Uh, he ends up suffering a really bad injury. Uh, her, I can't remember exactly why she leaves Europe. Um, I thought she was just like homesick, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, that could be because I know, like, I, I know she's super popular over there, and like, it's like the height of her career or whatever over there. She's playing really well. She's signing autographs for fans, but she ends up coming back home to become a bank, like, to work as a bank teller. Uh, moves back in with her parents. He's back uh, with his mom at her at the, at the next door house because of his busted up knee. And then it's kind of them just rekindling their friendship and then eventually rekindling some romance, even though uh, Sinan Lathan actually has a dude that her mom or dad or somebody set her up with. And he's got a fiance. Oh, I forgot all about that part. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, but she's kind of a bitch, if I remember right. Uh, so, yeah. This movie, and probably part of the reason why I, I still love it so much to this day, is because the plot line for this movie literally is what I turned into Reunion uh, when I wrote my feature film in 2004. Uh, it's literally about two kids uh, through flashbacks. You know, we, we learn all the stuff that happened in their lives that pulled them together and then caused them to drift apart. Uh, this film was a huge inspiration on that plot. Basketball is not... Oh, there is a basketball scene in that movie? No. I mean, Reunion's a basketball movie. <laughs> no, no, no. There isn't a basketball scene, though. It's, yes, uh, there is. There's a football. There's, there's a basketball scene. Man, I need to watch my own, own movie. movie. Man, I definitely need to watch my own movie. I don't even remember the basketball it's scene. It's the trailer, man. 
They're bouncing up. They're hanging out at a basketball court, and the little boys de- bouncing a basketball. The kids. It's I was thinking. Boy. I was thinking of Chris's character. Yeah. Okay. When they were kids. Yes. So yeah, I totally put basketball in that movie. Also, and that there's a point right. in time where, like, I think this is when they're supposed to be teenagers in that movie, where they're throwing a like he's got a basketball on the stoop. Yeah. Oh. How can I forget about that? Because Rachel's dancing with the basketball in the in the outtakes of that. Yeah, you're. Oof. You need to watch your own movie. Again, I do need too. to watch my own movie again. So yeah, this movie was a huge influence on Reunion that I that I wrote and directed. And well, we made it in 2003. We showed it in 2004. Um, but yeah, so I think that's. But on top of that, like I just I just love this movie. I love I love their characters. I love the arc. I love the chemistry that they have. Um, and then you know, there's lots of subplots going on in their life. But basketball is still like. Basketball is the most important thing to both of these two people, and it's so important that they missed, like, how important they should have been to each other. So it's kind of a great story about, like, people whose priorities are messed up. I will totally agree with you. Um, directed by Gina Prince by the by Wood. The wood. Yep. Uh, she went on to do stuff for Spike Lee. This might have been a 40 Acres and a Mule production. Um, I don't remember. She did the old guard that just came out on Netflix earlier yep. in 2020. She did an episode of Cloak and Dagger. She did Beyond the Lights, which I never saw. Uh, the oh, Secret Life of Bees, which I never saw. She did some television shows. She did right after she did Love and Basketball. She did a movie for HBO called Disappearing Acts that had Wesley Snipes and Sanala. Sanala Lathan. Sanala Lathan. Um, but uh, that's pretty much all I'm seeing right here. So she's got, um, yeah. So uh, she gets one heck of a performance out of everybody in this movie. Oh, like, yeah. Um, Dude, Dennis Haysbert plays Omar Epps' dad, who is an NBA star. Like, like Quincy comes from an NBA family. His dad's an NBA player. Uh, or for, I'm sorry, he's a former player by the time the move – well, when he's a kid, he's a current NBA player. When when he's in high school and college, his dad has retired from the NBA, but is doing like NBA appearances and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, dude, still to this day, I get emotional watching the scene where Dennis Haysbert admits to cheating on on his mother. Like that that um, scene, yeah, like the uh, it takes place in a bar and. That dialogue between the two of them and and the explosion of anger that that um, uh, Omar Epps has towards his dad is just phenomenal. Like that scene is amazing. Uh, the, and you know the whole movie is just. I think the whole movie's top notch. Like yeah, um, this is a movie that gets a seven point two on IMDb. It gets a seventy off of the Metascore critics score. Um, I. It's a lot higher I, than that for me. I would agree with you on that too. Like it's higher than that for me. Um, this is a movie that literally, if it's on, I'm not, I'm I'm done. I'm I'm right there. I'm yep. not moving. I'm watching the whole the rest of the movie. I don't care if there are commercials or not. I'm just not gonna. I'm not changing the channel. Sure, um, it is. It is so good, and well written, well directed, amazing performances. Like from top to bottom, it, I I don't have any faults with this movie at all. And there's a lot of basketball scenes in it. There's a lot yeah. of basketball scenes of them on the playground. There's basketball scenes at their high school games. There's basketball scenes at their college games. Uh, the college montage um, is is absolutely amazing. Um, 
right after right after the stuff that happens with his dad and then when she uh, ditches him because of her curfew the next game like the next sequence that happens is a, is a montage with with an amazing song that I can't remember off the top of my head but it's um, it's Sinan Lathan playing the best basketball that she can and it's um, Omar Epps playing his worst game ever uh, and it just keeps cutting back and forth between her doing amazing and him having a absolutely terrible game. And it's just, it's it's one of the most beautiful basketball sequences I've ever seen because it's it's just cutting between the two of them and she is she's finally accelerating to getting noticed and he, him, who's gotten all the recognition throughout his like short time in college, is just, he's throwing balls out of bounds, he's dribbling off his leg, like... He's he's missing jump shots. Like he's learning that he's human. He's not he's not the big badass that he thought he was. And she is just embracing the fact that she is as good as she thinks she is. Um, I just absolutely love that 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 montage of basketball. Well, and you know, it's also one of those things where like you hear so many stories about how talented people are, but how they and like and you know. Um, I hope you guys have seen the movie. If you're listening to us talk about it, um, he goes to the NBA, but things don't go well for him in the NBA. Nope. Um, and a lot of it has to do with his immaturity and his, his issues with dealing with his father's stuff still. And so uh, what I do appreciate is the fact that like, there's probably so many people that that can speak to. Sure. That like whether they made it to the NBA and just fell on their face or just didn't make it to the NBA because they couldn't get over certain like little emotional hurt, like not little, it's not a little thing what goes on, but in the grand scheme of things, it, it shouldn't be something that completely destroys your world. But when you're a kid and you're young and you're immature, the smallest thing feels like the biggest thing. Right. So like, it, like everybody, especially like if you're an adult, like I felt this movie when it came out, like we were what 20. Yeah. 2000. Yeah. So we're 19, 20 years old. I felt it then I can get, and when I watch it now, I feel it even more because it's like all of that potential that's just gone and never fully um, developed uh, because of the fact that, you know, this guy couldn't get over, the things that were going on in his personal life and he couldn't get out of his own way. So, yep. um, yeah, it just, it, it's so well done. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, so we're going to move on to number five, which has one of my favorite eighties actors ever in it. Uh, it's got, uh, <laughs> it's just so much fun. It's ridiculous fun. Um, the basketball could potentially be seen as secondary to the plot of the movie. Um, but there is there is still quite a few basketball games that are involved in the in in the movie, and it's Teen Wolf, with Michael J. Fox. Um, he plays a dopey, nerdy, dorky kid. Not even really like nerdy or dorky. He's just like awkward, and decides that like he doesn't want to play for their basketball team because their basketball team's terrible. He tries he tries to go in and tell the coach that he's quitting, and I. I <laughs> The coach is a really creepy, awkward kind of guy, and he tells him, like, a ridiculous story that kind of gets him to decide to not quit, but, like, it's also because he kind of just doesn't accept the fact that he's quitting, so it's... I remember that scene being, like, really awkward and whatnot. But, so, 15 minutes into the movie, Scott learns that he uh, he's a werewolf, 
Uh, he has a he has a breakdown at his house where he starts transforming. You find out that his dad knows about it. It's a family genetic thing. Like he's he's gonna be a werewolf. So in one of their basketball games, he ends up like grabbing a rebound, and some you know a couple of the guys are fighting him for the rebound, and then wolf's boom, out. wolf's out. Plays the rest of the game as the wolf, and apparently, transforming into a werewolf gives you superhuman strength, allows you to jump really high, and makes you shoot perfect baskets. Uh, because for the rest of the movie, every time that he is the werewolf in in a basketball game, nobody can stop him. Um, it's fairly comedic. Uh, there, there's scenes where uh, Chubbs is like eating a donut while while he's on the floor because like he's just not moving. Um, there's scenes where like all four of the other teammates are just standing around while the wolf takes on one on five and still dunks the ball over all five of them. Um, <laughs> really campy, cheesy comedy basketball stuff, but it's Michael J. Fox. You know, I've loved him in Back to the Future. This came out the same year as Back to the Future. Um, just, just campy, cheesy, ridiculous fun, and then he decides as the wolf to become an actor and and do the school play at the same time, which is a kind of lame and ridiculous subplot in this movie. But uh, they had to find some way for him to attempt to seduce the girl of his dreams, who was dating the uber douchebag jock, uh, who actually plays basketball for a different school that they end up meeting in like the final game of the movie. Of course they do. Have you seen Teen Wolf? Uh, it's uh, man, I probably haven't seen it in twenty five years. Oh, okay. I know that I've seen it, but I don't know if I've seen it since I moved away from Germany. <laughs> so, okay. Like, uh, yeah. Um, one of my favorite things ever, though, is if you go on YouTube, the final sequence. Uh, there's a point in time where they have a shot of the uh the stands yep. and the girl the girl that make michael j fox is all about is like standing there and she's like looking at him and he's looking at her and it cuts back and it's showing her and right over her left shoulder i think is a guy who had just literally pulled his wang out and it's just in the background while they're tight on this girl there literally is a dong on the screen um apparently they've since scrubbed that out digitally uh, but but if you watch it on YouTube, <laughs> it's up there, man. I almost want to go over to my parents' house and borrow the VHS and see if I can, like, just to see if it's real or not. Because sure. yeah, like that, finding that and finding out about that was quite funny. So there 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 are definitely pictures that I have seen that make it look like that is the case. Uh, the 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 production company, I don't know remember if it was Orion or whoever it was that did it, they have since denied that that actually happened. They claimed that it was just his finger. Um, yeah, that's not a finger. I, I, I'm just telling you, like... A the... very girthy finger, if it isn't. <laughs> yeah, so, I've seen the pictures. Uh, it is hilarious if, if that really did happen. Um, I'm probably, like, 75% convinced that it's real, but it also doesn't really look real at the same time, but... Yeah, and I, I I want to get the the unedited version from my yeah. parents and see if that's something that uh, actually occurred or not. That'd be interesting. Uh, all right, so number four in the polls with the most votes was Space Jam, a uh, a movie that I obviously watched a lot when I was growing up because Michael Jordan was in it. 
what was that 96 96 yep uh, yeah um, my kids have watched it since they love it they love good. the moon stars good uh, the like, Toon Squad jersey is the only one that I'm missing from my collection. Like, I got the 23, the 45, and the Wizards jersey, uh, but, uh, but I, need, I need the Toon Squad one. Yeah, that my kids, my kid, the basketball references are completely lost on my children. Oh, are they? they no idea. Who, I mean, they know who Michael Jordan is because of Space Jam. They don't okay. know anything else about Michael Jordan. They don't know who Larry Bird is. Bugsy Bogues. Uh, yeah, Charles Barkley. Yeah, like, Charles Barkley. Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson. Oh yeah, Johnson. What was his name? The freak. Something like that. Or was it Mama, Grandmama? I can't remember. Okay, I'm looking that up. You can keep cool. talking about Space Jam. Well, uh, you know, Space Jam is kind of kind of that cheesy plot. You know, it's a it's a Looney Tunes plot. Uh, there's an amusement park out in outer space where uh, a group called the Nerdlux uh, run this thing, and they need uh, they need a new attraction. So they decide they want to come to Earth and steal a bunch of Looney Tunes because they've seen Looney Tunes cartoons and they want to take them all back to their amusement park to be attractions. Well, the Looney Tunes are like, oh man, these little tiny goofy aliens want to take us. We're not going to let that happen. Let's, char let's challenge them to a basketball game. So then the Nerd Lux decide that they're going to watch a bunch of documentaries on the NBA, find out who the best players are, and go steal their powers uh, so then the little Nerdluck aliens turned into the Monstars, the giant basketball-playing uh, squad that's going to go against the Looney Tunes. Uh, when Bugs learns about this, he decides he needs to recruit Michael Jordan to come in and help them win the game. Um, Bill Murray plays like Michael Jordan's sidekick in the movie, who eventually, uh, for the final game, or for the game, ends up joining the team. Um, uh, kind of, I mean... And, uh, like they just they 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 put together a bunch of the Looney Tunes characters. They decide to bring in Babs, even though like the for '96 it was weird to have like this pushback on like a female basketball player because like the WNBA was like just starting up and like the height of the height of like the promotions for the WNBA. But so they had the uh, the female uh, rabbit who is Bugs Bunny's like love interest, Babs Bunny. Uh, she comes in to join the team. Um, but there's like weird like pushback on her and whatnot. It's it's a very awkward thing for a kids cartoon movie. All right. So what did you look up and what are you ready to tell me? All right. So uh, yeah, L Larry Johnson or as some people called him LJ. Uh huh. All I remember is when he played on the Knicks and he screwed the Pacers. Um, but for the most part, like I remember him on the Hornets because him and Muggsy Bogues played on the Hornets together. Uh, and uh, Lonzo Mourning was on the Hornets, Alonzo too. Lonzo Mourning was on that team as well. Yep. Why they couldn't win is beyond me at that point in time. That was a lot of talent. Um, but anyways, whatever the case may be, Grandma Ma was the nickname. Okay. Because of his Converse shoe deal. And he, oh. did, the, he did a commercial as Grandma Ma, where he ah. dressed up in an old lady outfit. So. I, I don't remember that, but... And if I remember it correctly, I think on NBA Jam you could switch Larry Johnson to be Grandma Ma. No way. Yeah, at one point he was an unlockable character or something. So, yeah, very silly. Well, yeah, and, and sadly, like we never got Michael Jordan on NBA Jam. Like back in the day, he refused never to. Off on that. Yeah, he wouldn't. wouldn't do it. It was always a bummer. I got stuck playing Luke Longley and Scottie Pippen. And My I think favorite. Uh, B.J. Armstrong uh, was their third. 
what was the um in the end of any in any nfl game bill belichick doesn't have a name because he never signed up with the he's not a, in the coaches union ah yeah, so he's ne- he's not a part of that. So since he's not a part of that, he can't have his name and like they use something that looks kind of like Bill Belichick, sure. but it's not him. And then, um, but yeah, I think it was the same thing with Jordan. Was like every time you picked up like NBA Live or whatever, I want to say he wasn't a part of the player. Nope, he wasn't. Uh, and so they couldn't sell his rights to anybody. It it so. wasn't until recently. I don't remember how many years ago, but like. The uh, the NBA uh, what is it the two K franchise uh, finally got him to sign off on like the royalties for it where you can now like play him as a playable character in the game. I'm sure they play they paid a whole lot of money for that. I'm, I'm sure, sure they did. Uh, this year, finally, David Beckham ended up making it into the EA FIFA games. He's never been an available player, but they they I'm sure they paid him a ridiculous amount of money to be able to have his name and likeness in the game now. Yep. Um, but yeah, so Space Jam was was fine. I'm glad to know your kids liked it. Uh, how do you feel about it? It's fine. It's it's funny. It's silly. It's worth. It's. I think I paid five dollars for yep. it. So did I. Uh, for the for the hard copy because I couldn't. Oh. Uh, I think I just saw it in a in a five dollar bin at one point while I was shopping, and I was like, oh, you know, this is worth five bucks for my kids. Jason Richardson they, would be proud of you. Yes, uh, they had ju- they had recently gotten into like Looney Tunes, the actual oh, cool. cartoons, and we're watching some of those and cracking up at those. So very nice. All right, uh, movie number three uh, in the voting, definitely. Hold on, let me look. That's two. That's one. Uh, I would put this in my top three basketball movies of all time. Uh, is Blue Chips, uh, and specifically because Nick Nolte is is phenomenal throughout the course of the movie like his at the beginning of the movie he very much doesn't want to cheat or do any of the things that like his rivals are doing but he's just he's at a point in his life where he's tired of losing like he's not getting good recruits because they can't compete with the schools that are paying their recruits or giving their recruits stuff so his character is just at a point where he breaks and he's just like Okay, uh, he ends up talking to J.T. Walsh's character. I think his name's Happy. Um, uh, Apparently I didn't put his name in the description that I wrote out. But he goes to J.T. Walsh's character and essentially says, Hey, I'm not going to ask any questions, but whatever you want to start doing to get us better recruits, like uh, I'm going to turn my head the other way. So he ends up going and finding Shaquille O'Neal, Anthony Hardaway... And uh, who was the third dude? I did not write his name down. A big white dude who I don't think actually ever played in the NBA. Uh, Shaq and Penny Hardaway were both on the uh, on the Magic at this time. Man, I just can't remember that third white dude's name. No, no. Uh, he was supposed to be like Larry Bird, basically. Like I'm pretty sure he lived in Indiana and like drove a tractor on a on, yeah, a, on a cornfield or something like that. Um, but yeah, so. Throughout the course of the film, uh, Pete Bell gets deeper and deeper into, like, uh, Anthony Hardaway's mother is played by Alfie Woodard, who also was uh, Quincy's mother in Love and Basketball. So she's actually got two basketball movies where she's the mother of a basketball star. Um, uh, She gives one of my favorite lines in all of cinema. Uh, She's talking to Pete Bell where he's literally like, I don't know if we can do all these things that you're asking for. And she looks at him and goes... 
a foul is only a foul if the referee blows his whistle. And, like, uh, that line has stuck with me for, like, 20-plus years because it's just, like, it's one of those things where she's literally okay with living in the gray area and breaking all these laws that, that they're technically breaking because she's just kind of a greedy person. Ricky Rowe, is that the kid? Yes, yes. Okay, he's done nothing ever since this movie. This was the only thing he ever did. Yeah, but he was a he was a college basketball player. He played at it says it doesn't even say that he played basketball. It just says he attended Chesterton, Chesterton High School in Indiana and that he attended IU Bloomington as well. But okay. he, it doesn't say it doesn't say that he played basketball. He might have. I don't know. I, 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 I'm pretty sure that all three of them were basketball players, which would actually be even more interesting since the final game of the movie is against the Bobby Knight-led IU Hoosiers. Uh, Dan Dockich is also in that sequence. Uh, I'm a oh, big fan of it. it was filmed here in Indiana. Yep. Some of it was filmed down in... Um, French Lit? At... What's oh, that? My goodness. What's the name of the stadium at Bloomington? Oh, Assembly Hall. Assembly Hall, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I'm a big Dan Dockish fan. I, I met him like two years ago. He was super nice, super personable. Really enjoyed talking to him. Um, but he's yeah. he's in Blue Chips. Go ahead. He played basketball in college at Indiana. Okay. And then he went on to play overseas a ton. Oh, okay. He yeah, played I... for, when he got overseas. He played in, from 1993 until 2009 as a player. Wow. In, in various yeah. European leagues? All over the place, yeah. So, um, but yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. And he was a part of the Portuguese national team at some point in time. Interesting. Um, I don't know how he, American, nationality American, but he was playing for Portuguese national basketball team. Possibly his mother. Naturalized citizen of Portugal. There you go. Okay. There we go. So, um, but yeah, so um, I really enjoy this movie. I think it gives you a lot of insight into the craziness of college recruiting. And um, you probably have a ton of people. It's kind of like, um, I, I, I personally, one of the reasons I really like Ballers is also one of the reasons why I really like um, Any Given Sunday. Okay. Because both of those kind of get peel back the curtain a little bit and you're seeing things that you nobody really talks about with the nfl um and i feel like this is what this is what that movie does for college basketball is it kind of peels back a little bit and it's talking about recruiting and paying players and stuff and everybody acts like it doesn't happen but we all know it does happen and and you don't have teams like um well john calipari over when he was the coach of UMass with Marcus Camby on his squad. Everybody knew he was getting paid apparently. Mm. Um, so it, um, uh, but uh, Bob Cousy's in this movie. I oh, like yeah. his character a lot in the movie uh, and being a huge basketball, especially a Celtics fan. Uh, always fun to see Cousy doing something. Uh, a ton of basketball players show up, Larry Bird and a few others. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, Bobby Knight's in the movie and actually plays Bobby Knight, but like, yep. um, but yeah, it's like the overall like the movie's entertaining, and I love the lady who plays Nick Nolte's wife, uh, Mary McC- or Mary McDonald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like, out of every single movie she's ever been in or yep. TV show, 
I always, I, it, it might be her voice. That's just because of the way she does it. She's like, it's like a soothing sound. So sure. it's, you can, you get it. I, I don't mind. Like, I don't know. She's, she's, she's just the awesome. president in the Battlestar Galactica reboot. And she's one of the best characters on that show. And um, she's also the president's wife in independence day. In like, independence day. Then she's, she's not also, in it very long. And she's also it, in mystery Alaska. And she's amazing in that. Yeah. Like she's always just really, really good in whatever she does. For sure. Um, I really enjoy watching her. Uh, I like her, her and Nick Nolte. They're divorced yep. in this movie, but you can tell that they're in love, but they can't make it work. Sure. And it, it's nice. Yep. So, oh, she's also in sneakers and she has the same chemistry with Robert Redford the same way. So, yeah, like it just maybe her job, maybe she got this job because of sneakers. Who knows? Could be. Uh, and then the last person, uh, uh, actor-wise in this movie is Ed O'Neill, who plays the reporter who kind of breaks open the, the whole thing. And he's phenomenal. Like, very few scenes, but, like, he's a good reporter, and you can tell that. Or, like, his character is a good reporter, and you can tell. And I just, I love the fact that, like, Nick Nolte constantly shoots him down, shoots him down, shoots him down, and then finally has that moment of, fuck, you know what? No, I'm going to tell the truth right now. And he's just like, hey, does he say ask your question again or something? I want to. I want to. Or maybe no, he just. It's uh. It's they. 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 Spoiler alert for the end of of Blue Chips. I'm about to just spoil it for everybody. Uh, they end up beating the Hoosiers. Uh, in, at, on a on a last minute play. Uh, Nick Nolte goes into the uh, media room where all the people are there, and he gets up on the podium, and uh, the first question he points at is is Ed Harris's character. And he, he says, you know, ask your question. And Ed Harris goes, I'm sorry. Like, I wouldn't I be need. doing. What's that? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I always get him and Ed Harris confused. And I don't know why. Just because their names are Ed. It's it's something stupid that I do. Ed O'Neill asks. Or he points at Ed O'Neill. And Ed O'Neill goes, I'm sorry that I have to ask this. But there's all these reports of uh, you guys giving Neon Boudreaux uh, a car. Is that is that true? And that's the moment that you're talking about where, where Pete uh, uh, Pete Bell just decides, fuck it. Like, I'm done with this. Like, I'm, I'm just going to tell the truth. And he goes, it wasn't just any car. You know, it was a it was a he describes the car. And then he, he comments over to J.T. Walsh. He's like, you know, didn't it have a sunroof or, you know, make some comment about it. And everybody thinks it's kind of like in jest. And so like JT Waltz makes a joke back and they're like, he's not really doing this. And then you get a six minute monologue from Nick Nolte, who it's crazy to watch that scene and Nick Nolte deliver this monologue and know what Nick Nolte is like now. Because watching that movie, I'm just like, this isn't the Nick Nolte that I know. Like he's, he's crazy now, but he delivers this six minute monologue of basically admitting to all of this shit that, that, that his program has done, giving cars, giving houses, giving money. And like basically even goes, neon didn't even ask for the car. We just decided to give it to him. Like we gave him a, a Hummer or whatever. That, no, uh, I can't remember a Cadillac. I think they gave him a Cadillac. And then Pete's like, what did he have tonight? He, uh, what was, what was, what was neon's rebounds tonight? They're like 15 rebounds. He's like, cool. He had 15 rebounds. Imagine what he would have done if we gave him a Ferrari. He he could have scored 40 points or 50 points tonight if we gave him a Ferrari. Like he's doing it in jest, but he's just like, this is what this is what I'm a part of. Like we've been paying these players. Like he just lays it all out there. He's like, we gave one kid a tractor, we gave another kid a house. Like 
that six-minute monologue is just powerful. And then it ends with him going, I quit. And he walks out, and the movie's literally over. Oh, it's not over, because he goes, remember, he's walking oh, around. the basket, yeah, he goes and he sees the kids. kids. Young yeah. kids playing basketball, and he starts going over and coaching the young kids, which is always kind of like this nice moment, right? Because, like, yes. here he is, at one point, he's, at one point during the movie, he talks about how basketball's so pure. And sure. Like, and especially with younger kids, that it's something that is just there to play the game. And um, I've made the comment, I'm sure I've told you, said this to you, I love going to see high school. F- football is my favorite game to watch live. Sure. Um, I like going to other sporting events, but football is my number one love as far as professional sports or sure. just sports in general of watching it. And I love going to high school football games because literally these kids are just playing for the love of the game and hoping somebody notices essentially there's like, like I'm sure there's corruption in, in high school football. It's not even a question. You know, we, we, we all know what happened with LN when we were in high school um, with their basketball team. Oh yeah. So, um, and, 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 and to the point of what was that our junior year when we got the guys from Washington, when yeah. Washington school closed, yeah. I'm sure they got recruited in some form or fashion too. Oh yeah got some kind of payment for their parents um but it's literally one of those things where like i love watching football on a high school level because it's most of the time it's just going to be the kids playing for the love of the game and just trying to make the best out of everything and like you know um so yeah like that's and that's what i really enjoy about the end of blue chips is when he's just like i quit being a college coach for one of the best teams in the nation and I'm bored, but I see these kids playing and I can help them. So he goes over and starts helping these kids. And that's how the movie ends. And it's like, that's right. I always hope that you would see like, not necessarily, you don't need to see it, but in my brain, I always like continued that story as to being like, he went on to coach middle school or high school sure. and just literally was just, just there to help the kids. That would be um, awesome. And it's more like a coach Carter thing, probably where he cares probably more about the kids than he does about winning. For sure. So. Uh, to parallel you like hockey is that sport for me. Cause that's what I played growing up. And so every year I still try to go to the Indiana state high school uh, tournament. Uh, it's usually over a weekend. It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, up at one of the uh, hockey rinks up in the North side of Indianapolis. And I, go pay my 30 or $40 like weekend to pass or whatever, just so I can sit and watch, you know, when Lawrence is in the tournament, it's awesome and fun to watch them. Um, but I just, I really just enjoy watching hockey at that age. Cause like you're saying, like these are all kids trying to go on and play in college or go on and play semi-professional somewhere. And it's just, they hustle their asses off and it's a lot of fun to watch that. So uh, you see big plays and then you see broken plays and it's sure. like, <laughs> Because it's not perfect, man. Like, it, yeah, it's just kind of nice to see. Very much so. Uh, so number two, moving on uh, on the poll. Number two, I honestly expected this to be number one. Um, I, I I'm surprised at what was number one, but uh, Hoosiers ended up being number two. Probably, probably my number two slash three. What's up? I'm just looking at your sweatshirt a little closer. Oh yeah. Kidding. Oh yeah. Yeah. There you go. Representing my hickory. Uh, I do think that's one awesome thing that, uh, that the Pacers have been able to do the last few years. Um, it, 
it's basically like their their movie jersey that they get to wear sometimes is they get to wear a jersey two or three times a year that has the hickory uh, on it to pay homage to the movie. Um, the NBA is kind of trying to do the thing where they create multiple jerseys to, to have more uh, jersey sales. Um, it's something completely stolen out of uh, European soccer because uh, in European football, the clubs change all three of their jerseys uh, every single year. They don't play with the same jersey back-to-back. So if you're a fan of a club, every year you're buying at least one new jersey. Um, or some of us buy all three of them because we're lame. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's it's something that the NBA has started doing. Uh, it's you know it's the reason why Kobe changed his jersey number from eight to twenty four because he started slipping in in jersey sales because everybody already had his jersey. Like nobody was buying. That really, what happened? That's exactly what happened. Hundred percent. Some okay. people I've gotten in an argument before with some of my friends because it's coincidental that he changed from eight to twenty four right after the rape trial. Some people think it's related to that. I literally believe it's because his he was number one in jersey sales for a long time. Some people think that the rape charges caused him to drop. I just think it was everybody had his number eight jersey, so nobody cared anymore about buying his jersey. So it's coincidental that right after the rape trial, he changed over to number 24 and he immediately became number one in Jersey sales again, because everybody started buying his Jersey again. Um, kind of why I believe LeBron James has changed numbers a couple of times, even while he's with the same team. Um, I thought he was 23 with everybody, but Miami. Was he, was he 23 yeah. when he went back to the Cavaliers? I'm pretty sure he was. Okay, man. So maybe I, I could be incorrect about that. But yeah, so I am I, pretty sure that I'm correct about the Kobe situation that because he dropped from number one in jersey sales, he decided to change his number so that people would have to buy his new jersey to be like, we're still Kobe fans. We have to prove that we care about him enough to buy his new jersey. That's why every year I have to buy Bayern Munich's new jersey because if I'm wearing an old jersey, like... Yes, that's vintage and retro, but like I'm not a diehard fan because I don't have the newest jersey. Uh, but yeah, European soccer has been doing that for the last 20 or 30 years, and it's something the NBA is attempting to incorporate. And the NFL's doing it too. They have their their Thursday night gear. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Like their, their their street their street gear or something. I forget what it's how they dub it or whatever. But which is yeah. which is definitely a Nike thing. I, I think Nike oh. had a big part in that. Oh, probably Nike. Probably, I mean, Nike has basketball and football, and mm-hmm. they probably do a lot of the overseas stuff too. Yeah. So, uh, and then, like, I mean, the NBA has done like their Latino jerseys, where you've got like uh, Los Suns or you know whatever on the jerseys. Like, they're just they're trying you to make get, as much money as possible. You said that you said you hated the Miami jerseys with all the neon, like purple and pink or no, whatever. No, no, I liked or last year's. Colors. I like last year's neon jersey. Like, if you go and look at the one they did last year, because uh, that's considered their Miami Vice jersey, the same way Dude. they're like, they have the hickory ones. Uh, last year's, if you look at it, it looks a lot better than this year's, because this year's the jersey itself, like, fades from the black to the purple to the teal or whatever. Last year, the jersey was just black, and then the logo was the only thing that had that gradient on it. And it looked it looked a lot better than the actual jersey itself changing colors 
from the left to the right side, like just the logo and and the numbers were had that gradient, and it looked, it dude, it looked top. Their their court still looks top notch. Like I love the like eighties Miami Vice vibe that that gives off. Like that's perfect for them. Um, but yeah, so yeah. Anyway, so that's that's it. That's our side tangent about uh my hickory hoodie that I got. It's the the it's the Pacers like movie reference uh pop culture jersey i guess we could call it um it's indirect relation to hoosiers which i literally expected to be the number one thing especially for the fact that we live in indiana and the majority of the the people we have on our facebook community are are here in indiana we've got some people from other states and farther away and whatnot but a lot of them are just our friends here in indiana and I expected Hoosiers to be number one by a landslide, and it wasn't. But that's fine. Um, I'm not. I'm not upset with what's going to be number one when we talk about it. But this movie. Oh, you, dude, hold on. We got to jump back. Do you know who directed Blue Chips? I these, don't. These top three movies I, I investigated the directors on because I'm I'm surprised by this. The director of The Exorcist, William <laughs> Friedkin. Directed yep. Blue Chips. Uh, he yep. also directed okay. The French Connection and To Live and Die in L.A. Like, all of these, like, gritty 70s, like, you know, horror action movies, like, he was involved in. And then he ended up doing Blue Chips, which I just thought was really weird that William Friedkin did that. Hoosiers, you know who directed it? Uh, oh. You should. You'll, you'll know the name when I say it. David A. and Spa. Okay. Thank and you. it was written by. Oh, I, it's the guy here from Indiana yep. that wrote. Uh, well, actually, Angelo Pizzo is not from Indiana. Angelo Pizzo is from Illinois, but they were college roommates at IU. They were both. Okay. They were both in the Sigma Nu fraternity at IU. Uh, Pizzo was there uh, getting a law degree. Um, I'm not entirely sure what David Anspaugh was there for, but they were roommates. Um, when Pizzo decided that he wanted to start writing, uh, Hollywood movies, he decided that he remembered from growing up because, well, okay. So apparently he was born in Illinois, but then moved to Indiana for a while and then moved back to Illinois and then ended up going to college at IU. Um, but he remembered growing up all the, like how big Indiana basketball was like for high schoolers. Yeah. And so that's what he wrote the script about when he sold the script, uh, he, put in, you know, a clause or whatever that his friend, David Anspa, had to be the one to direct it. Uh, the two of them actually ended up working together again on Rudy, another Indiana-based film. I was going to bring up Rudy. Yep. So uh, you got the two of them, uh, roommates at IU, that ended up writing this movie, Hoosiers. Um, this is this is another one that that's uh, much like Coach Carter. It's definitely told from the coach's perspective, you've got, you know, the fish out of water where he's coming to town because the previous coach ended up passing away. Um, Norman Dale uh, is played by Gene Hackman. He is apparently friends with the guy who's the principal at this school. Um, the, uh, the, like I said, the previous coach had a heart attack and died. So he brings in Norman Dale, even though technically he's not supposed to be a coach. It's revealed later on in the movie that, he ended up striking one of his players and actually got banned from being a being a, a basketball coach. Um, 
he ends up taking over the team. He pisses off a lot of the townspeople because, like, he closes off practices, tells the parents and, you know, all the, like, boosters or whatever that they're not allowed to watch practices. Uh, he doesn't want any crowds or anything uh, around his players, so he ends up pissing a bunch of people off. They lose a bunch of games. Um, uh, his uh, his first assistant coach ends up having a heart attack also, I believe. Um, and that's when he has to bring in uh, Dennis Hopper's character, Shooter, uh, to be his new assistant coach. Shooter is the parent of one of the kids that's on the team, but he's known around town as the as the town alcoholic. Um, so Normandale makes him a deal, like, cause Shooter, like, knows basketball, like, he's very basketball intelligent, like, can memorize, like, stats and all this stuff, tells him, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be my assistant coach, you gotta, you can't drink while you, while anything basketball related is going on. Um, so he's kind of trying to help Shooter, because Shooter is definitely an obvious alcoholic from some of the scenes that happen in the movie. Uh, some of the best scenes are when Gene Hackman purposely gets himself ejected from the game, so the shooter has to be the coach. Um, the first time that happens, that's a really powerful scene, not only for boosting Shooter's confidence, but for showing Shooter's son that he's not as terrible of a dad as he thinks he is. Like he just looks at his dad as this, you know, drunk that's you know never around or doesn't do anything right. When Norman Dale gets himself kicked out, it, it kind of shows his son, your your dad knows what he's doing when it comes to basketball. Um, the town doesn't like Norman Dale at all. They want to get him fired. They want to get rid of him. They want him out. They have a town hall meeting to vote him out. They end up voting to have him fired. And then our savior of the movie, Jimmy Chitwood, shows up. And says, hey, I want to play basketball again, guys. I'm ready. Jimmy was apparently sitting out because he was so emotionally distraught over their previous coach dying. Apparently him and the the original coach were very close. And when he passed away, he didn't handle it. So he was just like, um, because of their bond over basketball, he decided to give up basketball. Uh, but he shows up at the town meeting and says, hey, I want to play basketball. And everybody's like, yay, we knew when we fired Gene Hackman that you would decide to play. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. If you want me to play, you got to you got to keep him as the coach. And like that scene, probably the best scene in the whole movie, like just to see all these people that are like, yeah, fire him. Oh, wait, no, keep him, keep him. Let's keep him. Like that's a that's a really fun sequence, in my opinion. And then, uh, you know, they they go on. To be a really good team once Jimmy comes back. We um this is a movie that uh two things. One, our mutual friend Lee has an awesome tattoo. He got the state of Indiana done with the Hoosiers movie poster inside the state of Indiana. Are you serious? Uh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I want to say really it's his, yeah, it's on his forearm. It's pretty awesome. Oh, I need to hit him up and see that. That's awesome. Uh, it's a tattoo that's uh, he got done and called like uh, at the Rue Morgue Tattoo Company, which is kind of on the south side. Okay, uh, which uh, is apparently a really well-known uh, tattoo artist works there. Um, but yeah, like that that piece is it's one of those things where you're like, that was that's it's awesome to look at. But then on top of that, just like them putting that together, I can't am remember. I, am I making this up? Does Lee have work that was also done by Ryan Derringer? I can't remember no. who Ryan is. Okay, all right, cool. Uh, I know our I, I know my friend Nick Joy has work done by Ryan Derringer, who's the one that did my my film strip tattoo. Uh, but I couldn't remember if Lee had ever gone to him and gotten work done also. Where was that one done? Uh the same place you got your Superman tattoo done at. 
Okay, then Lee has had that guy work on it okay. most likely. Um, right on. So, um, but yeah. So, anyways, he has this really cool tattoo. I thought that was always really that is cool. awesome. I need to see that. Um, and then one of the other things that was kind of cool was uh, I've never actually watched this whole movie what? in its entirety. I know I, I've seen every part of it. Okay. But I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it from beginning to end. Like it's—I don't know. Like, but I know I've seen every bit because, like, every time I sit down, I'm like, "Oh, I've seen this part." And okay. Sit there and watch it, and it's usually, you know, like uh, it, we live in Indiana, so it's sure. it. It was on television a lot growing up, and I was watching, and I've seen the ending. It's kind of like Mad Max, like that in Mad Max. I've seen the ending of it so many times. Um, but overall, I know I've seen the whole movie. I just never watched it all in one sitting. So. Very interesting. Yeah, I think it's really good. I really enjoyed Normandale as a coach and the way that he gets all of his kids to play together. And, you know, again, now I wouldn't say this is even Coach Carter level. Like, Normandale cares about winning basketball, uh, but he cares about doing it his way. Yeah, and uh, lots of fun. And, and, and you know, the it's all based off of a real scenario that happened here in indiana yep uh 1955 milan i think that's right um uh, so in indiana for the longest time we didn't have class basketball it was literally a state tournament yep every single high school was in it yep and then you literally just had all these teams come down to one and it didn't matter if your school had 15 players on the squad or 18 or 24 literally it didn't uh, whatever the um whatever the case may be you had this small town school that literally just went all the way yep and ended up winning it we didn't add class basketball until 80s we were in high school or it was like mm-hmm. right after i think it was while we were in high school it was before we were in high school I would say late 80s, early 90s, because I, I remember us being in high school and having the class because we were in class 4A. We were, but I want to say it happened while we were in it. Interesting. I, I thought it was the whole time we were there. So what did you find out about class systems in, bas- in Indiana State basketball? Okay, so you were right. Milan is the team that went in 1954 54, and beat okay. the, the powerhouse Muncie Central. Okay. Uh, so there's that. Um and then, um, and then, 1997, Bloomington North is remembered as being the last team to win the championship in the non-class really? system. They beat Delta in 1997. So I was right. It was our senior year was the first year that they introduced class basketball wow. in the state of Indiana. So right. I was pretty sure I remembered that. So that's awesome, dude. I yeah, I, I don't know why. I I thought all four years we were I thought it was like ten years earlier than that. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah. so the last thing that I will say about Hoosiers, uh, and then you can say anything you want to say about it is uh, I think there's a huge nostalgia thing with me for this movie. Um, I, I, I really like now, now I look back at like 1999 movies and have a huge nostalgia cause I lived through that. Uh, back in 1999, I had a huge nostalgia for like the eighties Brat Pack movies. Like, you know, I love breakfast club and all the John Hughes stuff and whatnot, but even, even before 1999, like growing up and watching Hoosiers, there was always just something so simple and pure about the fifties. 
Um, and it, it, it comes, I, I guarantee it also came from Back to the Future. Like, oh, seeing yeah. the 50s in Back to the Future, uh, and maybe that's why I thought 1955, because maybe I just put that Back to the Future connection together. But, um, but yeah, so I, 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 this movie as a basketball film and as a, like, you know, it just, it has a really nostalgic feel to me about a simpler time and, like, you know, just kids playing basketball in cornfields and, like, you know, it wasn't about going to malls or, you know, hanging out with your friends or anything like that. It was just, it's literally a, a simple movie about basketball and people who loved basketball at that point in time. And, you know, it was set in Indiana. Let's see, like, 89 and 90, I was living here in Indiana before we went to Germany. So, like, I'm sure I saw it at some point, you know, around then in my life, if not before. Uh, so, yeah. Again, because we are based in Indiana, I can't believe this isn't number one. But you got any closing thoughts on Hoosiers? No. Uh, well. Solid movie. Uh, I enjoy the fact that it's based on real life. Rudy is another. I like Rudy as a movie, oh, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. It works really well, even though, you know, they took some artistic licensing. For sure. With, with the, how it all plays out but um yeah I, I thought that was that's a great movie to watch too so well and i'm pretty sure angelo pizzo has has made comments about the fact that like when he was writing his screenplays he just took you know the idea right. of what happened and then you know he he admits that like he wasn't trying to make biographies he was just trying yeah. to tell the story in a hollywood fashion which is weird because when a lot of other people do that, I get pissed off about it. But for some reason, I give him a pass on both of those movies because I like them. Um, the number one movie, the number one voted on basketball movie is a movie I enjoy, but it's probably in my top five basketball movies. Not number one, probably not even number three. It's probably either four or five for me, uh, but it's white men can't jump. Love this movie. I, 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 I agree. Uh, much like we talked about last week with Die Hard, I think a lot of people enjoy this for the buddy cop comedy aspect of it. Because Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes together are amazing. Their bickering, their banter, their dialogue back and forth is so good. Um, it's no wonder they went and made Money Train, right? Like to try and cash yep. in on this. But it didn't work with Money Train, but it works with this movie just fine. Well, you so. replaced Rosie Perez with Jennifer Lopez. What were you expecting? I that was a very big upgrade. <laughs> I love Rosie Perez, though. I don't mind Rosie Perez, but her voice is super annoying. It's like watching Janice. So. All right. So do you know who directed White Men Can't Jump? Oh, God. No. Go. Ron Shelton, who had a long run of doing very big sports movies. He directed oh. Bull Durham. He okay. directed White Men Can't Jump. Then he directed Tin Cup. And then he directed Playing to the Bone. So he literally did baseball, basketball, golf, and boxing movies, and he is the writer of Blue Chips. Oh. So in the top three voted on movies, he directed number one and he wrote number three. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so Ron Shelton's a pretty decent guy. Truth be told, after Play It to the Bone, he did like four or five other movies that I've never even heard of. Which one uh, Play It to the Bone? That's the Woody Harrelson, Antonio Banderas boxing movie that came out in like 1999 or 2000. Is that where they like, they know each other really well yes. and they keep fighting each other constantly? Yes. Okay. It's like right. they're friends, but they're also, they're also very competitive, but they're still friends. But like, it's like the, the yeah, it's constantly rematches. Yes. And, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, uh, I only ever saw it once in the theater. I don't remember liking it very well, but... I want to say we screened that at Eastgate during all those um, the QCs for all the... Uh, the trade screenings. Trade screenings, yes, thank you. So, yeah, so white men can't jump. We've got where Woody Harrelson starts hustling at the beginning of the movie, and he hustles Wesley Snipes and his friends, and then you've got him and Wesley Snipes teaming up together to hustle a bunch of other people to make money. Then you've got them teaming up to hustle a group of guys who turns out to be Wesley Snipes' friends, and Wesley Snipes throws the game so that they lose, and, and um, Woody Harrelson has to pay up, like, $2,000 or whatever to those guys, which is the amount of money that Wesley Snipes lost in the original, like, near the beginning of the movie sequence. Uh, I don't even remember how he ends up figuring out that Wesley Snipes hustled him. But it then, wasn't like, Rosie Perez figures it out. Oh, Rosie Perez figures it out. So the two of them go to Wesley Snipes' house and meets his wife and have a big discussion over like all this money. And then they decide, oh well, there's this three on three tur- or two on two tournament that we could enter and we could hustle everybody else and make a bunch of money. So then they win that tournament and win like five thousand dollars or whatever. And then it, after after that tournament, they get in an argument over if Woody Harrelson can dunk or not. So then Woody Harrelson bets his $2,500, his half of the five grand, that he can dunk the ball. Wesley Sipes gives him three chances to dunk, and he doesn't do it. So he loses his $2,500, which pisses off Rosie Perez. Um, Somehow Wesley Sipes has a connection to Jeopardy, which is Rosie Perez's, like, goal in life is to get on Jeopardy. Speed of plot. Okay, the only way that this is even plausible. Wesley uh, Snipes got her that? Yeah, Wesley Snipes like, has a buddy that works at Jeopardy or something. Oh, I don't remember that part. Yeah. But I remember her being on Jeopardy. I don't remember her. Yeah, that's how she gets on Jeopardy. Cat. Yeah, is because Wesley Snipes knows a guy who like works on, on like he's a camera not cameraman or a security guard or something that works on Jeopardy and gets her gets her onto the movie. Because that's the only reason that when he when when Wesley Sipes comes to Woody Harrelson about the um, uh, who is it Duck and King are playing, the only reason that he picks Woody Harrelson over Rosie Perez, Rosie Perez is because of the fact that he feels like he owes him for getting her on Jeopardy. Because Rosie Perez tells him, if you go play in this tournament, like I'm leaving you, like we're done, we're over forever, like I'm I'm done. But he still picks Wesley Sipes because he feels like he owes him. Um. So yeah, so then they go and they end up beating like these two guys called Duck and King who are like the big, you know, uh, schoolyard basketball players in the neighborhood or whatever. I don't know how much money they win, but he he wins enough money that he can play off, pay off the mobsters that he's been running from the entire movie. Because uh, that's kind of like where a lot of the arguments come between him and Rosie Perez is the fact that he owes these mobsters a bunch of money. A uh, very lame subplot that doesn't get brought up very often throughout the course of the movie. But at the end of the movie, we see that we see that he pays them off, and then he goes and finds Woody Harrelson again, and they play a game of one-on-one um, at the very the, at the very first basketball court that they met at at the beginning of the movie. But the important part that I just glossed over is when they win against King and Duck, uh, Wesley Snipes throws up an alley oop to Woody Harrelson. And he finally dunks the ball. And again, I, I, I see the appeal. I enjoy this movie. It's so much fun. 
Um, it's it's a very <laughs> it's a ridiculous plot, but it's a '90s plot. In the '90s, never thought twice about it. Twenty years later, I'm like, hmm, this is this isn't the greatest plot. Um, but their their chemistry between the two of them is great, and it's like Riggs and Murtaugh level. It's you know uh, John McClane and Zeus level. Like they just they have a great rapport between the two of them, and it it's very well written. The stuff that they say back and forth. What about the movie? Do you love? Well, it, 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 like you, you've already touched on it. Like their relationship and the way they can play off of one another in the movie uh, is just awesome. It reminds you a lot of uh, some of those classic people like you brought up. But Wesley Snipes has a history of doing this, right? Yeah. Because like, I mean, you also look at something like Demolition Man. Oh yeah. He played him and Sylvester Stallone play off of each other really, really well in that movie. Um, I can't say so much on Blade because Blade, Blade Three, him and Ryan Reynolds, woo woo, him and Ryan Reynolds in Blade Three, so good. Blade Three doesn't even exist. I it's don't know what so you're talking. It's so good. Blade Two is garbage. When nobody knows that movie. It goes Blade, Blade Trinity. It's so uh, weird. They called the second movie Blade Trinity. That's just so weird to say that. Um, but yeah, like I, overall, like it, this movie's really enjoyable and fun, and and yeah. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but overall, who cares? Yeah. You just have fun with it. So I saw this on Fort Ben. Just really the movie, nice. Movie theater in Fort Ben. So Yeah, and I mean like that that's another great thing about these mid nineties, like this obviously isn't an action movie in any way, but like a lot of the like mid nineties action movies, plots didn't really matter. Um even even some of the comedies around that time, like the plots didn't really matter. Um you know, it's just it's just a fun, enjoyable movie that has a lot to do with basketball as, like... But again, like... Like I, like I said, with, with Finding Forrester being on the list, I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. This isn't a basketball movie at all. But, like, when you break down White Men Can't Jump, like, basketball is very important to the plot of it, but it's also not the main... It, I'm saying, It's not the only plot of it. There's very good, like, subplots and character development that have nothing to do with basketball. Uh, anything else you want to say about uh, White Man Can't Jump? Cool. I got a couple of honorable mentions. They are movies that I like that were very low on the polls. And one of them I completely forgot about until this week when I started um, started Google searching basketball movies to find out where they were available to watch and whatnot. Amazon Prime has a movie from 2009 called... Or 2010, 2009 or 10, somewhere around there. It's called The Winning Season. Uh, it's Sam Rockwell uh, becomes a coach of a girls' basketball team. Two of the players on the girls' basketball team are Rooney Mara and Emma Roberts. Uh, I am 95% sure that I saw this at the Keystone Theater. Uh, Was you... this an Artland movie? It, it it may have been. It's 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 a definitely an indie movie. It's it's very low budget. Uh, the director hasn't done anything major. Like, he wrote and directed this movie, but he hasn't done anything major since then. But it's definitely like an art house movie. Like he's he's directed like four or five other movies that all look like art house movies. I haven't seen any of them, but I'm pretty sure I remembered seeing this at Keystone Arts for the first time. And so when it like popped up on my Google search for basketball movies, I was like, holy cow! I I didn't put this on the poll. Nobody else added it to the poll. I didn't even think about it uh, until I saw it. 
And so I rewatched that one again this week because I couldn't remember. I, I remembered seeing it, but I didn't remember all the details of it. But I, I really enjoy this movie. Um, it's set in Indiana. It stars Sam Rockwell, who I think is one of the greatest actors of, of the last 20 years. Um, he I obviously fell in love with him in the way, way back. Um, but he's... he's this movie, like, so Moon is a very good movie. The Way Way Back is a very good movie. But this is a very good movie of him being a very unlikable character that it takes a while for you to open up to. At the beginning of the movie, he's uh, he's a busboy at a, like, Applebee's-type restaurant. Um, Rob Corddry is in the movie and plays an old a high school friend of his who is now a principal at a, at a high school uh, and offers him the job of coaching women's basketball. He shows up and finds out that he only has six players on the team and one of them has a broken leg. So he technically only has five players who all have to play every minute of every game that they ever play. Um, but he's really kind of, he's he's a jerk to them. He's an asshole to these girls. Like, he treats them very poorly. Uh, they all want to quit, but Emma Roberts keeps convincing everybody to stay. Like, she's kind of like the go-to between the players and the coach, uh, her, Sam Rockwell. Uh, throughout the course of the movie, uh, Margot, Mar Margot Martindale is the bus driver for the team. She ends up becoming his assistant coach because he's like, I don't know how to talk to these girls. Like, I don't know how to treat these girls. Um, so she kind of becomes his assistant coach. It's, it's a, he, his, his ex-wife, he has, he has an ex-wife and a daughter. His ex-wife in the movie is Susan from Friends. Uh, Carol's Susan from Friends, uh, and then his daughter uh, plays basketball for a rival team. So uh, eventually through the season, they get to the point where his team is playing his daughter's team, and he has kind of a mental breakdown over it. He's like, I, I, I can't coach against my own daughter. Then Margot Barndale has to be like, you know, that might be your daughter on the other team, but these five girls are your family right now, so you need to go coach them. And I'm like, that's a pretty, you know, pretty good scene between them. Um, but he, he's an alcoholic throughout the movie, and that's why I was saying earlier um, with, with Hoosiers that alcoholism is... You know what? It is kind of a big deal in this movie because he, he you know, gets in a car... Not in a car accident. He gets pulled over for, for drinking and driving. Um, he drinks a lot. He gets really drunk one night when, when the, they all go out to, like, an Applebee's-type restaurant. He gets really drunk, and these high school girls have to actually take him home um and like take care of him it's a really good character study on him but again he starts off as a terrible character at the beginning of this movie where you don't like when i rewatched it i was like man i didn't realize like how much i hated his character at the beginning of this movie slowly but surely like he starts opening up to the girls they you know he starts you know explaining the problems that he has with his ex-wife and with his daughter they start trying to like you know help him because you know they're all teenage girls or whatnot um, Rooney Mara's character, uh, is dating, like, a 27-year-old guy, and she's 16, so even though she's all, like, madly in love with his older dude, Sam Rockwell is the one that goes and, like, physically assaults him, because he's like, this is fucking statutory rape, dude, like, this is not cool, stay the fuck away from my basketball player, you're getting a phone call, it's now muted, uh, but yeah, so, like, he... He steps up and becomes kind of like a fatherly figure to this. And, like, you know, she's a 16-year-old girl that's liking the attention of an older guy. But, like, Sam Rockwell's like, 
this isn't going to fly. Like, this isn't right. Uh, so, it by the end of the movie, it, Sam Rockwell does a lot of redeeming things to, to help these girls become better basketball players and just better people. Very fun and enjoyable movie. I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime. I talked a lot about it. Are you interested at all? Yeah, it's inter- it sounds interesting. Yeah. It's And he's always good in whatever he does, so Yeah, and he's really He's phenomenal in this, but it takes you like you will not like him at the beginning of the movie. It's not like the way way back where like the first time he's on screen, he's funny and he's hilarious and he's relatable and he's like a really good dude and like, you know, he's the life of the party type character like this guy's an alcoholic, and he just says a lot of mean stuff to these girls, because, like, he shows up and finds out there's only five of them, and he's like, I don't even want to coach you, and he just literally, like, walks out of their first practice that he's supposed to be having with them, and, like, it's it's, it's a really good independent movie. Like, you watch it, you realize they had a very low budget, you know, but it it's also awkward because you know, it was obviously made, you know, over 10 years ago, but it deals with a lot of the shit that's kind of, like, important now. Like, there's lesbian characters and how the community reacts to lesbian characters. Um, there's a black girl who hates the Mexican girl that's on the team, so it's like they have to overcome that boundary. And and it's weird because it's not like the, the racism that we're used to of, like, a white person hating a black person. It's a black girl who hates the Latino girl and makes a lot of negative comments about Latinos invading, you know... Indiana and stuff like that so it's a very it's a different kind of racism than I've ever seen on film and you know as teammates they have to overcome that which is actually a really hilarious sequence which I mean I I doubt a lot of people will watch it anyway so I'm just going to explain it out like this Latino girl is shooting free throws and the other team keeps making jokes and calling her derogatory terms for for a Latino uh, the Latino girl refuses to shoot the second free throw and just walks off the court and goes to the locker room. Well, the black girl that's been having a problem with her this whole time starts talking shit to the other team because of, you know, all the things that they were saying. So, um, uh, Sam Rockwell gets between this black girl and, and the other girl on the other team and is like, look, you know, don't, don't say or do anything. Like, you know, stand down, calm down, whatever. And then this white girl on the other team goes, I hear your coach is a busboy, or I hear your coach is a dishwasher or something. Sam Rockwell immediately goes, beat the shit out of her, and steps out of the way, and she just fucking throws a punch at this other girl. And it's just, it is a hilariously fun scene, because, like, he's trying to be the right, he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to tell his team, like, don't, don't engage in this, like, they're just trash-talking you or whatever. She says one thing about him, and he's like, alright, beat the shit out of her, like, just do it, and just steps out of the way, it's... I, I died laughing when I watched it again. I had forgotten all about that scene, but it was absolutely hilarious. Um, so I highly recommend uh, The Winning Season. It's like an hour and 40 minutes. Very art housey. very... It, Sam Rockwell doing art house stuff is always a positive. Like, he just nails it. Um, we've talked about this movie a bunch of times. We can just gloss over it, but it is one of my favorite films that, as I was writing all this, I realized doesn't have a lot to do with basketball. But it's the way back with Ben Affleck. Uh, he is absolutely amazing in this movie as an alcoholic coaching uh, his alma mater, his high school basketball team. Um, and while he does do good things for the team and, and helps them improve as, as people and players, the movie really more focuses on him and his alcoholism and him trying to deal with 
the the trauma that he's dealt with in the past. What were you laughing about? Your love for that movie is hilarious. It's just like such an all-time high. Every time time you have the chance to bring it up, you bring it up and you're just like, I love me some Ben Affleck! I do, and you know what the honest thing is, is I don't know if I'd love this movie as much if it wasn't Ben Affleck. I know, I got you. And it's weird because, like, it's a great movie and it's a great character and it's a it's a good story arc and development. But I just think that like the Ben Affleck parts like sets it like over the mountaintop for me. Where like I love this movie. So you the like, last you, one you liked the movie too? Man. I did, I did. Last movie on your honorable mention list is The Sixth Man. It has. Uh, oh, I got I, I have one more honorable mention that I didn't put on there. Uh, but I'm going to get to that after we talk about the six man. Okay. Is uh, Marlon Wayans and Kadeem Harrison? Kadeem Harrison, yep. From. Yep. Uh, from. Yep. Uh, In Living Color. No, not. Uh, different World? Oh, is it, oh yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. But a different it, world was a Cosby. spinoff of In Living Color. Cos- no, Cosby Show. It was a spinoff of Cosby Show. Okay. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so he was the one with the flip sunglasses. Yes. Yeah, because yes. uh, it takes place in college. Yep. It was an early '90s show. Um, so a different uh, world. Yeah, yeah. So the whole premise of this movie is Marlon Wayans and Kadeem are brothers, and Kadeem dies of a heart uh, a heart problem. Yeah. It never got noticed, whatever the case may be. Um, so he ends up dying when he's on the court, and then he, he uh, dunks the basketball, and then like has the heart issue while he's like yeah. and he falls and, and, and you know you're killing a char- main character right at the beginning of the movie kind of uh so it kind of like is kind of a downer for a moment the first but 10 it, minutes like, are pretty dark because after he dies like uh david Paymer plays their coach and they're like in the locker room and like he's trying to tell him like marlon wayne's like i gotta go see my brother and david Paymer's like no like you, you don't need to go to the hospital. And he's like, yes, I do. Like, I need to be there for my brother. And he's like, no, like, your your brother died on the way to the hospital. Like, he's not at the, like, there's, you can't go see him. And it, it it's a very dark first 10 minutes of the movie, but it's also kind of emotion. Like, it, it starts off on an emotional high because the other players start, like, Marlon Wayne's character doesn't handle it well. Like, like most of us probably would start, you know, losing it if we lost our brothers. Um, his his teammates start coming around him and like one of them uh one of them gets in his way when he's trying to leave and he starts beating on him another one comes up behind him and just puts his arms around him a third player comes over and just like puts his hand on his shoulder like it's a really emotional opening to a movie that's supposed to be a comedy and well it becomes a comedy because kadeem comes back to life and he starts helping the team win uh, and uh, the reason this movie came out in what mid nineties? No, yeah, I was gonna say it was right when we were in high school. We were sorry, in high school. Yeah, so, um, uh, for the most part, it's just a it's fine, it's silly, it's inter- it's a little entertaining. Uh, the biggest takeaway from this movie is uh, Shane and I were uh, Shane more so, but I was friends with or are friends with yep. a lady named Brandy James. Brandy James is the cousin of the main girl in The Sixth Sense. Michael Michelle. Uh, Michael Michelle. So, um, Who went on to be on Dynasty. Uh, she's on Dynasty right are. now. 
uh, ER Gossip Girl. She was apparently on for a bunch of episodes, and she did she did a lot of like how to lose a guy in ten days. Yep. Um, uh, but yeah, so so she's found quite a bit of work. She was in New Jack City. New yep. Jack City was a big thing for her. Um, what the funny part was is um, <laughs> not know. So Shane and I know that Michael Michelle is a part of Brandy's life, yep. and and uh, so that that wasn't a big surprise, right? So like we really, I got into this movie also because of the um, soundtrack's amazing. Deeper than blood is one of the songs that I, that is one of my favorite songs off of this soundtrack. Really good. Um, well, and when they use it in the movie is amazing also, because it's literally like right after his brother passes away. That's the song that plays like during that scene that I was talking about. And then for like the next couple of minutes of him playing bad, much like the love and basketball scene, him yeah. playing bad basketball because of not having his brother on the team. Funny side note, though, <laughs> is that uh, I made a comment while watching a movie with my then girlfriend, now wife. Uh, and I was like, oh, I wonder if that's Michael Michelle. And she and like my wife, Letha, just like turned and she was like, why did you bring that girl up? And I, and she goes, that's not Michael Michelle. But why did you bring her up? And I was like, oh, well, my friend Brandy is is her cousin. And all of a sudden to find out that, you know, somebody I was dating actually is sorority sisters with brandy who we are so good friends with um so it was it was just kind of a weird the world is so much smaller so than we small of a world um yeah in high yeah. in high school brandy was essentially my older sister uh when i would get in fights with my parents and i would leave my parents house i 95 of the time ended up at brandy's house i love her parents uh they would let me spend the night over there if i needed to like uh brandy and i were were literally brothers and sisters uh, for quite a few years, I, I've, I've been at their house for holidays. I've been at their house when Michael Michelle was on the phone. I have heard her voice on a phone. Um, but in the in the last couple of years, and because of your wife being sorority sisters with her, I feel like you guys have gotten a lot closer. Like you and you and your wife are a lot closer with her and her husband uh, than I have been in the last few years. Yeah, well, I mean, and and you know, we've been to a few occasions or whatever when we can. Uh, so it, um, it's just kind of it's kind of fun, and nice, and, and an interesting way that the whole weave of the world is woven. So such a um, small world. Uh, so yeah, I so, completely forgot about the six man when you were doing this poll. Like I would have sure. Apple like click. <laughs> my last my last honorable mention that I didn't put on our script is one that. I don't understand how it's not your favorite basketball movie. Oh, uh, no, no. We're not even bringing up that movie. Like, Celtic Pride has Damon oh. Wayans in it. How can you not love a movie that is literally about Celtic Pride? The two main characters are Celtics fans. They kidnap Damon Wayans, a Celtics player. He's not a Celtics player. He's a Utah Jazz player. If you're going to quote and try to talk about a movie, make sure you're doing it correctly. They don't want him to play. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I apologize. You're right. Yes, that's right. Because he has a bad attitude anyway, and he's always been a showboat. Me is I'm the best player ever kind of thing. And so they kidnap him. And so all the Utah players, all the Utah, like other players and the management and coach and everything, they're like, oh, that's just 
I, whatever Damon Wayne's character's name is. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's just Wayne's being Wayne's, whatever. He'll show up at some point, and they don't really <laughs> believe like he's ever been kidnapped. Uh, oh, Dan Aykroyd and and Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. Like, why, why? Why? Yeah, that why? movie is absolutely terrible. I just bring it up because I love the fact that it's about your Celtics, and it's so oh, terrible. So bad. Uh, the last category we're going to talk about, just a couple of quick things, uh, are documentaries. I pulled, I put them on the poll, but I, I took them out for their own separate category. Have you seen Hoop Dreams? It's been so long. I saw it when it came out, uh, like on VHS or whatever. Sure. I remember watching it. I think I watched it with Lee uh, over at his house, and it, it was it was entertaining and yeah. really interesting, but I don't think I've seen it since. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a really powerful documentary. It, it, it looks a lot uh, – well, it looks a lot at an area of Chicago that doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, essentially yeah, – yeah, Caprini Green. Uh, essentially, Chicago or uh, essentially, Hoop Dreams is about two kids from Chicago who get accepted to a like prep school that's out in the suburbs. Uh, so they have to get bused and well trained into the school every day. Uh, they both live in suburbs of actual like downtown Chicago. One of them being Caprini Green, which is where like the movie Judgment Night takes place at, and is actually where my brother originally moved into when he moved to Chicago. Um, but in completely the, gentrified, by completely the way. gentrified by the time Scott moved in there. Um, but yeah, like yeah, it's where Candyman takes place at. Like it, it, it was, it was known as the essential ghetto of Chicago. Like it was the worst of the worst suburbs in Chicago. Uh, at, at some point in the nineties, the late nineties, I believe they completely went in and, and redid it. What's up? We went there. We got lost there. We in got 2000. lost there in 2000. Yes. It wasn't so yeah, it completely gentrified no. when that happened either. I don't no. think we were oh, looking right. at it. it they're like, "Wait, did that sign just say Caprini Green?" We were like, "Michael, get out of here!" Yes. <laughs> we uh, we were. It was in 2000 when we were up there for Wizard World. We had drove down into the city because we, we were up in Rosemont, but we had drove down into the city to go to a bar or go somewhere. Well, we went to a movie, maybe. I don't know. Movie? I we we had driven say, down uh, Hollow Main that year. Oh, was that Hollow? Yeah, Hollow Man was two thousand. We may have gone to see Hollow Man somewhere. Yeah, I think we saw it at uh, the um, oh some eighteen plex. Yeah, it was we, General Cinema that also had uh, a bar, the premium, premium theaters. But anyway, yeah. keep going. So yeah, but yeah, uh, we had gotten lost in downtown Chicago after the movie, like trying to get back to Rosemont. And we had pulled off on an exit and, and like we saw the sign that said Caprini Green, like pointed like an arrow one way. We were like, wait a minute, I've seen Judgment Night. Like, I don't need to go. Like, and Candyman. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure we heard gunshots while we were there before we got back on the interstate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a pretty it was a pretty scary side adventure that we went on. But one of the kids from Hoop Dreams lived in that area, uh, one of the worst areas in Chicago. Uh, I, I believe at one point they were like one of the highest deaths per capita in the United States or something like that. Um, very low income gang related area. Uh, but yeah, so Hoop Dreams dealt with with two of the guys uh, that were taken from Chicago, sent out to a suburb to play basketball because they were very good at basketball. Uh, the documentary did a good job of looking at things like um, race and class uh, the the social injustice that was going on at that point, uh, and economic division in the education system, pulling people out of various areas. Um, it was for '94. It was kind of an eye-opening documentary. It's stuff that still is being discussed today. Um, 
I find it very interesting that that both this this documentary and some of the movies even uh even finding Forrester dealt with a lot of this stuff um of paying people for their talents and not necessarily caring about their education. Um, Definitely something that was, that was eye opening then that is probably still a problem today. Um, I unfortunately am not close enough to to understand it. Um, But it was something that was really eye opening at that time. The next documentary was the last dance, which just came out last year, which was uh, 10 hours of amazing behind the scene footage of, uh, the Chicago Bulls, dude, you shake your head, but it was it was absolutely enthralling. Yeah, like one episode, you. one episode focuses on Dennis Rodman and shows you like all of the crazy shit that Dennis Rodman did. The Scottie Pippen episode is a great episode that shows you how Scottie Pippen became Scottie Pippen. I don't, I'm not doubting that it's well done. I just don't see. I could never watch. Like, if it's Celtics related, I'd watch ten hours of it. Like, <laughs> I told you already. I've watched the six-hour version of their sure. Lakers-Celtics rivalry. But yeah, like I'm. Uh, I don't. I didn't like the Bulls in the '90s. I don't like the Bulls. Thinking about the '90s Bulls now, so I'm not interested in watching ten hours about them. I just and 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 we've had this argument off camera before that I just I can't understand why I know you love basketball more than just the Celtics like that that era of the Bulls from from 91 to 98 is quintessential in basketball history like I lived it I don't need to relive it I'm good uh, See but that's the thing like I agree that I lived it and I remembered a lot of the game footage they showed but they showed a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I've never seen before. Hey, give me a '90s documentary about Reggie Miller and the Pacers. I'd rather watch that than watch this. So. Uh, ESPN did a 30 for 30 called Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks. It's I've watched it. Amazing. Yep, that's not it even is. on my documentaries list. But Reggie Miller versus should the New York Knicks should have been was a 30 for 30 that was amazing. I mean, um, literally the 31 boom baby. So yep. Uh, the third one I have on this list is one that. You read the book right before this documentary came out, and you were telling me that you were reading the book, and when the documentary came out six months after you read the book, or very close to after you read the book, I watched this documentary. I just watched it again today. Well, I had it on while I was doing other stuff, so I didn't technically watch it, but I've already seen it. And that's the uh, Magic and Bird, A Courtship of Rivals. It's on HBO Max right now. I remember watching that documentary the first time in 2010 when it first came out and then showing up at work and going, you hadn't watched the documentary yet, but you'd read the book. That's literally supposedly the exact same as the documentary. I started talking to you about stuff in this documentary and you were like, oh yeah, they talked about that in the book. They talked about that in the book. They did it like, and you filled me in on more stuff that actually wasn't even in the documentary, but that, because I mean, I, I grew up in nineties basketball. So obviously I was a little later in the bird magic rivalry. Like I wasn't in the eighties version of it. I mean, I watched basketball in the eighties, but I didn't get into it. Like I did at the early night, like 90 to 98 is when I was hardcore into basketball. Um, but that documentary and seeing like the NBA almost collapsed before bird and magic happened. Like their TV ratings were for the 10 years before them, before 19 from 1970 to 1980, all of the top TV ratings for basketball 
uh, nine out of the ten top ratings were college basketball games. There was one NBA game there. But Bird and Magic just blew up the NBA, and it was the East Coast-West Coast rivalry. It was the white versus black rivalry. And the watching the documentary again today, watch, watching a Celtics player say that he felt like the NBA was too black and he didn't like the way black players played, I'm just like... That is that is insane for somebody to say that like on a on a national television broadcast when he's being interviewed. That was a different time back then. Well, it's a totally different time, but I mean, you know, we things have gotten better, I would say, obviously, and there's still probably some more work that needs to be done. But sure. um, yeah, like uh, the the book is called Bird and Magic when the game was ours. Um, and, um, it was written by Jackie McMullen, uh, who is a writer, who was a writer. I don't know if she, if they, if I always get mixed up if it's a boy or a girl, cause there's also there, there's two different Jackies and they, they both write out of Boston. Jack, Jackie think. McMullen is a female. She's in the documentary and she's also on around the horn a lot. Thank you. So yeah. yes, Jackie is, uh, um, She's the one who wrote the book with Bird and Magic. Nice. And, and I, I think she does a great job in the book. I think the book was awesome. Um, I really like the documentary. I've seen the documentary a couple of times. And then, like I said, after that, even after that, it was only like two years ago, I think, that they did a six hour 30 oh. for 30 series where it was Lakers versus Celtics. And it was literally from the 50s all the way to like current. And it was still, and it was just talking about like, how like you and you had somebody like you know like Paul Pierce who grew up his entire life being a Laker fan <laughs> and then he made it to the and then he got selected by the Celtics and uh to go to play for them and he and he was he wasn't very happy he was happy he was in the NBA but it wasn't his first choice of being mm-hmm. on the team because of the fact that he was such a Laker fan growing up um but yeah, and now he has a Laker basketball court in, his, or no, a, uh, a Celtics basketball court in his LA home. An <laughs> court. Uh, so, but he, yeah, like, um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things where, and of course, what was that in 2008? It had to be Lakers. The Celtics made it to the finals. It had to be the Lakers that we got to. And then sure. they won that one, but then they go again in 2010. They get there and who are they playing again? The Lakers, Lakers. again. Yep. And it's just like, oh, I, well, that's one, of the, that's one of the great things I like about. Uh, I haven't seen the six-hour documentary. I definitely will try to check that out soon. Uh, but in the Bird and Magic documentary, they talk about they show a scene where somebody is like, "We don't understand why they call this a rivalry," because apparently, like people were calling it the you know L.A. Boston rivalry. Okay. Boston won ten champion, or I'm sorry, eight championships in a row facing the Los Angeles, I'm sorry, not eight in a row. Their first eight championships they won were all against the Lakers and they were eight and O against the Lakers until Magic Johnson came around. But yeah, so like somebody's interviewing them and they're like, I don't understand why you call this a rivalry. We've beat them eight out of eight times. Like that's not a rivalry. We're dominating them. And then Magic Johnson came around and it became more of an actual rivalry. My favorite part of the documentary is when they talk about the Converse commercial. 
And oh, yeah. how Larry Bird was like, I, I'm not going to LA to film this. If you guys want to film this, you have to do it on my ranch in French Lake, Indiana. I'm I'm not leaving Indiana. Like, I'll do the commercial as long as you come to my ranch and like do it here. So they Converse agreed to it. Magic Johnson agreed to it. They show up and Bird and 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 Magic had already played together on the Olympic team. And and the documentary goes into the wasn't an Olympic team. It was uh it was a it was while they were in college. It was still for uh, Team USA because it was. It was, it was the, it, but it was. It, it wasn't the Olympics. Oh, okay. It was something okay. Else. I got It was you. like the. It was like a basketball champion, world championship. Oh, okay. Or something like that. So, yeah, and they, it was only college players at that point in time. It was literally. I want to say it was right before, or it was right before their senior year. Okay. I want to say when they both played in the, the national championship game. I, I want to say it was their like between their junior and senior year that they did that. Um, it would have had to have been because when they met in the championships, I remember Magic Johnson on the documentary is like, I went over to shake his hand because like we were teammates on Team USA, like we were good friends, and he refused to shake my hand. And I said, Oh, that's how it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, because Bird was Bird very much it, it's kind of interesting because you can you in some of the documentaries you've seen, uh, or you can see footage of them playing on that team together. And they're 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 dominating. Sure. Like it, it's whenever they could get on the floor together. Maybe it was maybe it wasn't between their junior and senior year. Maybe it was when they were freshman or sophomore. And but they didn't meet up again until their senior year because he did he did like completely ghost uh, yeah. John Magic Johnson. But uh, they, but yeah, it was like they were they couldn't every time they got on the floor together in that championship world championship thing that. Um, they were dominating, but because of the fact that they were underclassmen, the coach wouldn't keep them on the court very long. And so like, it, and Magic Johnson described it as every time that they get on the floor together, the score would go up and they would be in the lead yep. and they get pulled and yep. then everything else would start losing the lead. And then they put them back in and the lead would go back up. And he, t- he talks about how uh, the lead was 10 points and they were like, okay, we'll put in bird and magic. They ran the lead up to 25 points and then the coach was like, I'm going to put the starters back in. He said within minutes of the starters being back in, the lead was down below 10 points. And he was just like, that's how good we were, is we ran that score up while we were on the court. And, you know, it's really a testament to how great they were. And to me to me personally, it's like Larry Bird's my all-time favorite player. Do I think he's the best player of all time? No, but he's my all-time favorite. Um to hear that, like some people, if Magic Johnson was one of the best in the world, especially at the point in time that Bird was there too, and he's telling you that Bird's a bad motherfucker, mm-hmm. then you better believe the bad the Bird's a bad motherfucker. For somebody like Dennis Rodman, who just kept being a little bitch about the fact that he would lose to Bird, and same with thing with Isaiah Thomas, that their comment that if he was black, he'd just be another good player. It's like that doesn't make that makes no sense. Yeah, he was a great player, whether he was white or black. It didn't matter what color he was; he was just a great player. Um, and and yeah, Larry Bird, just the man. And <laughs> this, this guy should have been on screen for me all night. Like we all we all know who my favorite basketball player is. And you know what? He he's it's easy to like the greatest of all time. So yeah, he is he is pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, the. 
the Bird and Magic uh, HBO documentary from 2010 was amazing, but I will definitely try to check out that 30 for 30 because I honestly didn't even know it, it existed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, like I said, it's six hours long, though. So I didn't mind it, but it, it covers like pre Bird Magic and everything, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the way back. It's Bill Russell and Jerry West. Awesome. And, yeah. So. That's yeah. got to be pretty cool and fun to watch. Uh, there's one last documentary I just realized that didn't make any of my lists or any of the polls or anything. Um, it is a documentary. Is my camera going to actually show? There, there we you go. go. It's called The Heart of the Game. Uh, I did see this. I want to say a Heartland. It was. Yes. A, I, I went and saw it at a film festival. You think it was Heartland? I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, this documentary is about a coach uh, who's not even on the cover of this of this thing. Uh, it is it is about a coach who takes over a a women's high school basketball team and literally changes their lives. Um, it it follows it follows the team for four years because um. Some of the some of the people that are freshmen at the beginning of this documentary, it actually might even be six years. Like it, it might cover even longer than that. But there are there are freshmen at the beginning of this documentary that go and and become seniors and graduate. And this this documentary is is heartbreaking because it 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 transcends basketball because. There, there, there are there are some of his players that he learns are being sexually abused by family members. Um, there, there are girls that are that are dealing with pregnancies. Um, there are girls that are dealing with um, agents who are trying to groom them um, for colleges. Um, it, it's a powerful documentary about not not just basketball but corruption in basketball. And how and how this coach tried to fight it, and um, it's unfortunately not available streaming anywhere that I could find, and I don't have a DVD player hooked up anywhere to watch it. So when I thought about it today, I was like, I don't have any way to watch this movie because I would love to. What's that? I guess I could have used my Xbox. Yeah, I was like, wait, didn't you just put it in your Xbox? Nah, that's a that's a very good call that I didn't think of earlier today. Um, but but this film is is heartbreaking to see what what this coach had to go through for some because it, it's told in a way where he he butts heads with some of his players and you don't understand why and then later in the documentary it shows you the the players' perspective of what was going on in their life at that time and it's just like this coach never never would have known that. And so, like, he didn't handle it the right way. Like, but he he's an amazing coach. Uh, the coach in this documentary is named uh, Bill Resler. Um, and and I I can't recommend the heart of the game any more than I. It is an absolutely amazing film. It's it's worth your time. It is an hour and something. I don't even see the runtime on here anywhere. It's it's less than two hours. Um. I don't know how anybody will be able to watch it, but it is it is an absolutely amazing film. Cool. Well, we just talked for like 
two and a half hours about basketball. Basketball movies. Basketball movies, and and we wrapped up with basketball. Uh, we're not sure what we're doing next week. Next week was supposed to be a co-podcast. I have a friend who does a music podcast. We, uh, we are eventually going to do a soundtracks podcast together. His music podcast, our movie mostly related podcast. We were going to do a co one, Jason and I, and our friend, Nick, uh, we're going to join, uh, my buddy Jeff and a couple of his friends talking about soundtracks but that uh that's been postponed we're still eventually going to do it uh we just got to work out scheduling a little bit better than we did uh so i'm not sure what next week is gonna bring so jason and i are gonna mull over that this week and then uh next week will be a surprise and then we'll uh something that jason and i have been talking about is trying to come up with more themed months um why are you shaking your head we did talk about that. You're right. You're right. So why are you shaking your head? I just think that you could leave some mystery. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about our themed months ideas. Uh, some of the months later in this year, we'll have uh, we'll have better themes to connect uh, the episodes together. And one of them will be, how do I make Jason laugh? That, that could be it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so... Not sure what we're going to do next week. Uh, not sure if March will have an actual theme, but uh, some of the months later in this year, we've already come up with some themes for them uh, to put together kind of a little more logical flow to what we're talking about each month instead of me just randomly coming up with uh, ridiculous stuff. Um, but yeah, so thank you for listening to two and a half hours of basketball talk. Jason, thank you for being my assistant coach throughout this. Oh, I see what you did there. All right. Uh, Thanks so much, guys. We will talk to you next week.